Welcome to the First Read Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, where we break down Bendis' iconic run on Ultimate Spider-Man, issues 1 through 160 in Earth 1610. I'm Zach, and with me today, the 16th Doctor, Johnny O. Yeah! Welcome back, Zach. How we doing? Was I not supposed to reveal you've been cast? What yeah. a... Tr- no, you weren't, but... Oh no! That, that that'll be a little secret for the webheads. You know they'll know before everybody else does. Yep. Gosh, good job even knowing what doctor number it is. If you asked me what what doctor that we're on, I'd be like, I don't even know anymore. I can't keep track of it anymore because I, David Tennant's back, and now there's a new one, and not and and I just can't keep track. There was a war doctor at one point. I had to Google it. And now, Zach, if we're really going to get into Doctor Who, they changed all the history. So there's like a billion doctors. The numbers are meaningless now. Oh, for real? Kind of. They like made it so there's actually the doctor's been born and died like a like a million times. Huh. I, I didn't know that. It's it's weird. I feel like you're going to have a lot of grievances to air and a lot of. Uh... No, I don't at all. Okay. <laughs> It's just weird. It's not bad. It's just it's weird. Just, it's just, it's just like dumb, you know? <laughs> yeah. But you don't, but, but you don't always have to care about everything. Like, yes, yeah, it's dumb, but, but who cares really? Yes. I think Doctor Who is a lot like Marvel Comics in the sense that when something has like a 60 year history as a franchise, sometimes there's going to be really dumb stuff that the fans hate. Yeah. And sometimes there's going to be stuff that the, they intended for it to matter and it just doesn't. And yeah. when you say you like it, you're really <laughs> saying you like the highs, not the lows. Yeah. Well said. Um, cool. So, so that's, yep. It's a good way to, way to say, welcome to the, uh, special episode. Not a, I, we've never done this before. We're going to talk Spider-Man. We're going to talk Doctor Who. This is a split episode Mm -hmm. uh, where both things converge. But first, we're going to talk about the 8th grade versus teachers volleyball game that was played yesterday. I already can tell you crushed it. (laughs) Zach, I absolutely dominated those kids. (laughs) For any listeners, I'm not a great volleyball player, but I did play in high school. I did play a little bit in college, so I am a much better volleyball player than a bunch of 8th graders are. (laughs) I feel like that qualifies you as a much better volleyball player than most people on Earth. Well, okay. But compared to my friends who play volleyball, I'm worse than them. So, you know, it's all a spectrum. Well, you say compared to your friends who play golf, you're worse than them. And then I was like... I, I came in all proud about the yeah. longest drive I did yeah. at Top Golf, and you were like, "I was like, what do you think a beginner could?" And you're like, "I don't know, 200 yards." I'm like, "Jesus, this guy should be in the PGA Tour." Iron sharpens iron. If you want to get better at stuff, do it with people who are better than you. You're you're just you have to realize you're a jack of all trades. Don't sell yourself short. You're not okay. a seven. You're not an eight. You're the jack. <laughs> well. Oh, that's pretty good. That's a good that's a good line. <laughs> um, well, this volleyball game, all week, all I heard from the kids were how they were gonna dominate us. And 
you know, it just didn't go down like that for them at all. The the final score, <clears throat> basically, we played in like nine five minute rotations because there's a bunch of kids and a bunch of teachers, and volleyball is just six on six. So we played in a bunch of five minute rotations, and we won a hundred and two to sixty by the end of the nine <laughs> by the end of the nine rotations, and the the rotations that I was in. It wasn't even that close. I mean, it was just a total beatdown. When I say a dominant performance, I mean a dominant performance. I was jump serving, Zach. I was just, I, I got an awesome block on this one kid who just pisses me off to no end. He is the cockiest kid ever. I wanted so badly to just get a good block on him. Got a good block on him. It was awesome. Let's the go. Whole school's watching. Oh my gosh, it was great. Can't wait did for you, next year. Did you get to trash talk any of the kids you coached? A hundred. Oh, um, the kids I coached are in seventh grade this year, so they were watching. But you know that they were watching, being like, "Holy, <laughs> Mr. Opat is a better volleyball player than I thought he was when he was our <laughs> coach." Like, because that's what all the eighth graders after after the game. That's what they were all saying. Also, they were like oh my gosh, you're like really good. And I was like, I told you guys all week I was going to destroy you. <laughs> like, what did you think? <laughs> Let's go. There's like it a specific great. genre of humor, which is adults not taking it easy on kids and no, just dominating no them. That gets me every time. It doesn't matter the context. It doesn't matter how many times I've seen it. That cracks me up. Like the meme of like a, a little kid next to like a black belt jujitsu master and it says never underestimate your opponent and he just like sweeps the kid's legs and knocks him on the ground <laughs> that kills me the end of um stepbrothers when they show up in a helicopter and just beat the shit out of a bunch of elementary oh, schoolers yeah. that kills oh, yeah. me Shiloh yeah. loves to remember a time uh our freshman year of college we had just met we had just started dating and our college put on like a a little carnival um, at the end of the year. And they had like an inflatable thing where you stand on your, your platform and someone else stands on their other platform. And you have like the, the giant Q-tips and you're trying to beat each other off of the platform. You know the yeah. competition oh, yeah. I know I'm talking about? about? Oh, yeah. Somehow little kids were there. I don't know if they just lived in – Terre Haute and people brought them or if it was like a professor's kid or something but this is like meant for the children you know there's other stuff for college kids but I don't care and I get up there and I'm up against a kid that can barely hold his little q-tip thing and he's like trying like to you know get it up like someone trying to lift a bong oh at the gym gosh. and as soon as they're like alright start I just I knock the piss out of him Hey, that's how he gets better. Yeah. You got to learn. No participation trophies here. One, one thing our one thing the math teacher says to these kids, she's she's so awesome, but cuz she's also very competitive and I'm in the room with her a lot helping out. Um and these kids, the 8th graders, right? They always were talking all week, I told you. And and the math teacher and I, we are both like this is this is not going to go down the way you guys think it is because she played back in the day also and uh, one thing she always says is she goes there are winners and losers in life okay 
and you were a loser, so you don't get a because she'll like do these things that are like you know reviews for the tests where the top three people get a piece of candy or a candy bar or something, and the person who comes in fourth is always like, "Oh, can I get one?" And she's like, "No, there's winners and losers. You lost. <laughs> do better." That's hilarious. It I is. don't. I don't know why putting kids in their place is just so <laughs> satisfying. <laughs> That yeah. says that says so much good. about me was, and probably not good, good things. No, but. no, no way, Zach. I promise every every teacher feels that, and every parent probably also feels that <laughs> because because kids can get annoying. But it was fun. But it was fun. It was it was it was fun also at the end because all of them are you know like oh my gosh that was awesome you know yeah, the whole school knows you're the man now exactly got a new level of respect from these eighth graders yeah i think you uh i think it's time you can tell them you co-host a spider-man podcast and lose a little bit of that cool factor maybe 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 next year maybe not this eighth grade class i'll let these guys get out and then i'll and then i'll maybe share for the next year but it was also I, I texted Zach earlier this week. It was also it was Catholic Schools Week this week. That's why we did some fun stuff this week. But one of the days was superhero dress up day. And the science teacher who have I mentioned her on here before? She also does like a bowling league with her like husband and friends on the Maybe. other side of the bowling alley on Wednesday nights. So I'm always like getting hammered with my friends on Wednesday nights. And then she's always like on the other side. And sometimes I'll go down and say hi to her, but sometimes I don't. Um, but she came in with a Midtown High Science Fair t-shirt on. And she was like, do you know where this is from? And I was like, Midtown High. Oh my God, it's a Spider-Man shirt. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and I almost let it slip. <laughs> I told John, it's it's ironic that he is trying to keep his secret identity from his school. Yep. <laughs> All right. Okay, so what have you been up to this week, Zach? We got into what I did. Dude, like nothing. Mine was like a it, it was just a week, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a vacation, like it's time to chill out, so yeah. literally nothing that to first, even comment the on. The first week back is always tough. Did you have a full 5-day week? I did, and you know, I thought it would kill me. I thought it would turn me into like a uh you know guerrilla warfare freedom fighter it sucked but it wasn't like that bad okay so that's so that's so that's guerrilla warfare g-u-e-r yes you weren't a it wasn't turning you into a gorilla Dude, <laughs> it, it, how sick would it be if we like <laughs> somehow released gorillas in war gorilla gorilla warfare I wouldn't fight a gorilla, be... especially if he pops especially, out of nowhere. Especially not in a guerrilla warfare setting. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. I don't think that'd necessarily be their strength, but I don't care. I'm still not fighting a gorilla. That's amazing that that hasn't been like a family guy bit or something, you know, like a little family guy off joke where they just show gorillas like in and you know vietnam type of situations or something that seems like that should have been a joke by now speaking of family or like guy, rick and morty or something that should have yeah. been some sort of a joke it feels like it's such low-hanging fruit everyone thinks they're above it i thought it was funny so okay maybe i'm wrong <laughs> uh speaking of family guy we started watching that um ted show oh i've heard that's really good 
I've just seen the first two episodes. It was pretty funny. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. Um, Seth MacFarlane uh, trivia, you might already know. Okay. He was supposed to be on one of the planes on 9-11. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. That's, he, oh my gosh. He, like, actually missed his flight. So every time they joke about it on, like, Family Guy or something, I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like, it's distasteful, but also he might be the only person who when can make that joke, and it's like working through his own trauma about it. I don't know. Family Guy aired in on January 31st, 1999. So think about how much like pop culture we wouldn't have if if that had happened. I mean, there would technically still be Family Guy, maybe, but probably not for more than a year. I don't you know, know that it was that big of a show, you know, De- definitely when it first not. started. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. I've got a Seth MacFarlane fun fact, too, that I just heard about. Did you know he's, like, not involved with Family Guy anymore, and he hasn't been for, like, a long time? So, basically, all he does is... But he still voices, like, half the cast. So, he literally just gets the scripts and reads them and... Or, like, records them. But he doesn't do any changes or anything because he's, like... If I start doing that process, then I have to be all in on it. So, so I just get the scripts and record them and I don't, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't worry about any of the other stuff anymore. Cause he's like, I just can't, I can't be half in and half out. If I'm going to help write it, I have to write it. You know, that's interesting. No, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, I didn't either. I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's crazy. I think how everyone you let. How could you let that happen to your show? Or not let that happen, but it seems like that'd be very hard to do for, like, your show that you created. That you still voice all of the characters for to just, like, completely just take a, you know... Separate. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like for the longest time, people hated Family Guy and they hated him and they were offended by all of it. And now it's, like, has a resurgence and it's, like more popular in memes than the Simpsons are. And um, it feels like people are reappraising and like, wait a minute, is this show actually funny? I think we were lied to for years and we were told it's not funny. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a really long time. I mean, I see like little clips every now and then, but once every so often, I'll just need to fall asleep to like something dumb and I'll put it on. I'll be like, Oh yeah, that was kind of, kind of funny. Nice. I never watched it religiously or anything. Yeah. Um, sorry, webheads. I'm still coughing a little bit this week. I'm still getting over a sickness because Zach and I are both one of us is just perennially sick all the time. It seems <laughs> feeble Victorian children. We, we, <laughs> Zach said before we hopped on that if if he or anyone in his family was alive during any other time in history, they would have died <laughs> as kids. They needed modern medicine to survive. Well, the ironic thing is, I don't think I got sick that often as a kid, but as an adult, it's like once a month. Well, dude, it it probably has to do with Shyla teaching, because I think that's why I get sick a lot. And, you know, Shyla might not even get sick because her immune system is built up, but she can still carry all those illnesses home to you. No, she definitely gets sick. Is, is, Is she always getting sick also? Always. What What year teaching is she? uh 
third or fourth, but she worked in okay. schools before then. Yeah. That's what all the teachers tell me. They're always teaching. like, yeah, your first couple of years teaching, you'll just get sick all the time. It's like, okay, I hope it's not forever. Yeah, that's fun. And then society's still like, oh, we don't really need to pay those guys. No, we don't. No, they I don't incur any risks. I make fine money. It's not like I have to sports bet to supplement my mortgage or anything. <laughs> uh, all right. All right, should, Zach. Let's talk about Spider-Man. Let's do right. it. Let's Throw it over to the Better Business Bureau, who also helps pay my bills. Every business says they're better. But the ones that earn and display the BBB seal back it up. It instantly identifies businesses that are committed to operating with integrity, honoring promises, and telling the truth. Makes you wonder why every business doesn't have it. So look for it, because it's looking out for you. That's why it's the sign of a better business. And find a better business anytime at BBB.org. All right, and we're back. We're back, and we are in... uh, Spider-Man issue 90, the last issue of the Silver Sable arc. I know John's excited about that. Yes, I am, because we just saw the Vulture, and uh, he's a pretty cool dude. Michael Keaton, you know? Yeah. Morbius. He was in that movie that we all saw and loved. (laughs) That we remembered was even a movie until John just said it. Matt Smith was in that one, and he's a Doctor Who guy. He's, Yeah. Lots of Doctor Who connections today. You clearly remember more about Morbius than I do. I've never seen the movie, Zach. Neither have I, and I had forgotten about it. Yeah. All right, so, um, issue 90, I feel like I need to mention, so we've gone 90 issues now with Bendis and Bagley. That is an insanely long time for an artist-writer duo, um... Just something to keep in the back of the mo- of your mind. The uh, world record for longest. I was continual just about run. to ask if you if you happen to know what the longest was. Yep. So Stanley and Jack Kirby did a hundred and three issues of the Fantastic Four. Bendis and Bagley are now at ninety issues of Ultimate Spider Man. So that's something to keep in mind. Wow. So does that count? Like. What about the team up issues? Did Bagley didn't do those, did he? They, no, they had just, different artists all the time. Just right? issues that say Ultimate Spider Man and have like the Oh my gosh, numbering. okay. Well that's something to uh watch over these next thirteen issues. Yep, and I think around this time it's something that people started mentioning to them and that they were watching too. Well then surely they broke the streak if they knew about it. I guess we'll I mean, see. I guess I guess 13 issues is still another year in comic book terms. Right. You can't like hang them all in two weeks or anything. Yeah. Um, but they've done a lot of the heavy lifting already. Yeah. All right. So this one is written by Bendis, penciled by Bagley, inked by John Dell, colored by Justin Ponzer, and lettered by Corey Petit. And we open on Spider-Man swinging off the Roxxon building roof, chasing Vulture. And Peter is yelling at Vulture, saying he can't just bomb a place and then run off. He has to at least stick around for the superhero showdown. And we see S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Sharon Carter on a nearby rooftop in a semi-invisible suit, reporting the fight to S.H.I.E.L.D. command. 
and Nick Fury is watching a live video recording from the Triskillian. And Tony Stark, who's standing next to him, says he'll suit up and go over there. And Fury stops him and says, no, let's let this play out for a minute. This is kind of fun. We get some uh, Nick Fury and Tony Stark action in here. Yeah, there's a there's a explosion and superhero battle in New York, and he's he's sidelining Iron Man. Yeah, for and, no and reason. The, That's fine. Yeah, and Nick Fury's like, no, let's not do anything. So that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty sus. Uh, and Vulture starts throwing grenades at Spider Man, who catches them with webs and throws them back at Vulture. But one still goes off too close to Peter, and he starts falling. And we flash back to the Triskillian, and Nick Fury runs a facial recognition scan of the Vulture's face, which is just out. It's just exposed. And we find out that his name is Blackie Drago, which I said... That is a... Yeah, okay, what were you going to say? Sounds like multiple slurs at once. Definitely. When I saw his name on there, I was like, they couldn't think of a better name for this guy? (laughs) Well, this is a classic name. Like, in the original run, Blackie Drago was a vulture. But, like, he wasn't the vulture. Like, that was Adrian Toomes, which they could have used. Yeah, that's right. Blackie Drago was just, like, his uh, cellmate in prison who tricked him and stole the vulture suit and then, you know, got beat. So it's like there there was no reason to not just say his name's Adrian Toomes. Yeah. Um, And from the rooftop, Sable tries to shoot at Vulture, but misses. And the Vulture is going for Mr. Roxxon, who's webbed to the side of his own building. And Roxxon says, oh, my God, please, no, I, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And Vulture says, oh, come on, Roxxon. I'm sure you can think of something you did. And just before Vulture can get to Roxxon, Peter tackles him in midair, and they start fighting again. And back at the Triskelion, Fury says the Vulture is X-Shield. And Tony Stark says, how do you get to be X-Shield? I thought it was a lifetime contract. And Fury says, it ain't easy. And John, it's like... If he knew that, if he knew this guy's name, how did he not just recognize his face with his own two eyes? I I know. None of this. It's like Nick Fury is like trying to be secretive here because in the previous page, he's like, do you guys recognize this guy? And they're like, no. And he's like, "Okay, then let's, you know, let's it's like he's he already knows who he is, but he's trying to like test to see if these guys know who he is. And yeah, I just don't understand it either. And, um, you know, he's about to say another line that I'm sure you're going to mention that I don't understand either. So, yeah. Uh, so Tony tries again to leave and suit up and help. And Fury stops him and says he's testing Parker. And Tony's like, come on, boss. The kid's been through enough. He's got the goods. He's Spider-Man. We know what he can do. And Fury says, I ain't testing him for that. What's he testing him for? What are you doing then, bud? (laughs) Doesn't make sense. He never says. (laughs) And whatever collateral damage comes of that test, you know, it's fine. He doesn't care about that. Yeah. And meanwhile, in the fight, the vulture starts firing flechettes at Peter. And I said here, he's basically Archangel. Yes. Well, that's how I know it is. Uh, so the vulture 
let me talk about his suit for a second. It's not like the traditional vulture costume where the wings are on his arms and he has to flap with his arms. The wings are on his back, like um like a angel or archangel or like yeah. Sam Wilson. And Archangel from the X-Men has flechettes that he can shoot from his wings and they're like big metal spikes with poison tips. And that's basically what they turned Vulture into here in the Ultimate Universe. Which makes sense because his original costume sucked and wasn't scary at all. But uh, apparently he can do that. He can fire those. And uh, Peter starts dodging them and Sharon Carter says... I want one of those suits for my birthday. It's like Sam Wilson's suit, only cool. So Sam Wilson must still be the Falcon in this universe, I guess. Yes. Even though we haven't seen him in Ultimates or anything. Yeah. And uh, uh, Tony, Fairy says, keep an and, eye and, on... And you know, just something a little interesting, but Black Widow... Is that who that is? Or you said it's Sharon Carter. Sharon it? Carter. She's like invisible in all of her scenes, you know. Yes, She's got... which we have established before that Shield has like invisibility, yeah, cloaking technology. Because yeah, just, remember, just mentioning it. Remember in the Ultimates when uh, Nick Fury walked up behind the Nazi alien and shot oh, yeah. him, and he was invisible. Yeah, I do like that. That's you know coming back again. Yeah. And Fury says, keep an eye on Silver Sable. And Tony asks, who's Silver Sable? And Fury says, it's a whole thing. Which, there's a couple times in this issue, it feels like they're just acknowledging, yeah, we fumbled this story. It doesn't make any sense. That's, that's what I thought also. Matter. That's what I thought also. When Nick Fury said that, I was like, that's how I would describe it also. <laughs> how is it a whole thing? Who is Silver Sable? It's just, it was just a thing. You know, she's but nobody. She's the assassin lady with silver hair. That's all you have to say. Does she have anything more than that? Well, it kind of is a whole thing because and nobody knows what's going on because they're like. It's this woman that rocks on hired, but he like hired her for like the opposite of what he thought he was hiring her for or something. And then. I don't even know what she was after, and I don't know what Roxxon's after, and it's just a whole thing. Just don't even but, worry about it, man. <laughs> right, but Tony Stark doesn't need to know that in that moment. He, they can just say, the girl with the silver hair and the gun, keep an yeah. eye on her. Yeah, okay, yeah. So that line feels like, uh, like a joke at how badly this whole thing's gone. Um, And Roxxon gets a call on his cell phone. And remember, he's still webbed to the side of the building and he starts he answers it and he starts begging the person for help and telling them that he's webbed to the side of his building. And he's just blabbering. And the voice on the other end says, hello, Mr. Roxon. Oh, my God. Are you actually crying? That is fantastic. And the voice starts villain monologuing and it doesn't matter. And they're calling Roxon dumb as <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. tries to trace the call. I could not figure out what was happening here. I thought Vulture was calling him. I kept thinking it's going to be like Norman or Harry Osborn or some like uh, some rival in industry, you know, that we've seen yeah. before. Yeah. 
No, I yeah, I hadn't. I didn't know who was calling them. And Sable shoots at Vulture again, and this time hits his suit's control system on the back and uh, causes him to start falling. And Peter says, great, now I have to save him. Because remember last issue, he had to save Roxxon, even though he really didn't want to. And he jumps down to catch Vulture. And we get a cool sequence of Peter riding on Vulture's back, steering his out-of-control suit around Rockefeller Center before webbing him to the statue of Prometheus above the ice rink. And he goes back up to the Roxxon building, but he finds that Donald Roxxon is gone. How the heck did you know that that's a statue of Prometheus, Zach? What? What? Did did you just learn that when you were in New York, like, last week? I was just in New York. I was around Rockefeller Center. I did see the statue, and I knew what it was, but I had to Google who stole fire from the gods. Oh, okay. See, I knew who stole fire from the gods, but I would have never known that that was a statue of the person stealing who stole fire, fire from the gods. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, a block over, they have Atlas holding the wor- the world. It's it's a whole, Very like, cool. motif around the Rockefeller Center. Very cool. Because I'm about to nerd out. I was doing this the whole trip. I was like, uh, I was like, I wanted to be a tour guide so bad. I was telling the girls what every building was and how it was constructed and, you know, what this means and all that stuff. But um, how did you know all that stuff? I watch videos on it and I've been getting really into construction and uh, particularly like skyscrapers and like the bridges, like the Brooklyn Bridge and what a cool what a cool thing to get into. <laughs> Apparently not, because I was punishing them. I was like testing them every time we saw something. I'm like, what's that? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, That's... I've said it seven times on this trip. It's the Central Park <laughs> Tower. It's the tallest tower in America by roof height. Why do I hate it? I don't know. Because it's just luxury condos for the rich. <laughs> um that's that's like a great older person like just knowledge to have you know how like old people just always have like insane knowledge about like some random thing oh, you're just gonna, gonna be like an expert on architecture and people will be like oh were you an architect and you're like no i just watched some youtube videos <laughs> got really into it yeah it just became my quarter life autistic hyperfixation. <laughs> um but no, so the Rockefeller Center was built uh, in the 30s, around the same time as like... Um, and that's probably of... named after John D. Rockefeller, one well, of the richest named... men ever. It's named after the whole he family. Says... I don't think it was John D. Rockefeller that commissioned it. I think it was one of his sons. Anyways, about the Rockefeller Center, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this out real quick, and then I'm going to be done about that whole okay. subject. Uh, around that time in like the 20s and 30s so a lot of these they started planning during the opulence of the t- roaring 20s and then they got completed during the great depression and it was kind of a bad look you know but um if you were like a a major family in like the upper class of america or if you were like you a major, major family like the rockefeller family or the yes. armor family you might say <laughs> Yeah, one of those. Um, if you know, if you like wanted to present this image of like our company is trustworthy or our family is grand or something, 
the way to do it was to build like a massive headquarters in New York and like uh, reach for the stars and, you know, build a skyscraper. And um, so that's like what the Chrysler building did. That's what the Trump um, building. There's actually several Trump buildings and that obviously happened way later. But yes, 30 Wall Street, which Trump bought, was one of those originally. Um and uh Chrysler building the Woolworth building it was just a, a that was the motif of the era and the Rockefellers wanted to have the biggest and best one and they put all of this definitely it had like art deco elements like everything else did but they also incorporated these Greek god figures like Prometheus and Atlas and it's like Prometheus stole fire from the gods to give to humanity that that was supposed to represent like the Rockefeller family's um philanthropy you know and what they give to the world and then the atlas holding the world and he's got this like unbearable weight that's like you know this is this is what we have to do you know in the boardroom this is how we made america it was just these very grand motifs uh i've just gotten I've just got nothing except just shaking my head with this with a smile on my face just <laughs> just just terrible. <laughs> Did you know that anyway, whatever. Zach and I used to have to one of the books that that our old boss would like recommend like crazy was how to Re- win friends and influence people. Um which is not a bad book to read, especially if you want to learn how to manipulate people. Um but it talks it's about It's not as psychopathic <laughs> as it sounds. It's more about like sales and just people skills it, i mean definitely it's basic it's basically just like if you treat people right they will want to work harder for you you know is, yeah is, there's is, you know to get people to do what you want the easiest way to do that is to also give people what they want you know so it's actually a good way to win friends and influence people versus like if you put your boot on someone's neck, then they have to do what you want. You know, that'd be a yeah. bad way to win friends and influence people. There's no crazy revelations in it. It's just, <laughs> no, it's not. It's a lot very, of people yeah. But they talk about the Rockefellers a lot in it. And, and, and they're always like, the way they got all of their money is by blah, 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 blah. And it's like, they were probably pretty awful too. Because <laughs> that um, book was written in like the 20s. Yeah. It was a yep. product of his times. Yep. Well, that was a good little uh, history lesson on the Rockefellers and the New York art styles, Zach. Yeah, if you ever go to New York with me, you'll get dozens of hours of that, uncontrolled and unprompted. I'm sure Shyla had a great time. (laughs) Alyssa was the one who was mostly listening to me, but even even she was definitely tuning it out. And (laughs) that's funny. You never know what you're going to get on this pod. That's right. Where the hell were we? Uh, we were talking about the, the Greek statues at the Rockefeller Center. Oh, yeah, Prometheus. So he webbed uh, he webbed Vulture up to Prometheus and then goes back up the building to try and get Donald Rocks on. And here's the part that I think was funny. Sharon Carter was watching the buildings. S.H.I.E.L.D. was watching the buildings. Nick Fury just said, keep an eye on Silver Sable. Peter gets up there. Roxxon's gone. Silver Sable's gone. Everyone's gone. How did they just walk away? 
he wasn't the only person. Shield literally had a do nothing policy on this one. Wait a minute. Okay, what what happened? I kind of had a hard time following this. The first like fifteen pages of this issue were just like fights going on with random people, and I had a hard time following it. Okay, so Vulture's webbed up to Prometheus, and then Peter jumps up on the roof, and everyone's gone. That's what you're saying. Yes. Oh, yeah. And he's like, okay, I got to go do homework anyways. Yeah. Peter gives up. He's like, I don't know what this was all about, but I'm going to go do geometry homework. And that's that's another. Yeah, that's right. Who did cut rocks on off? We don't know. But that's another uh, moment where Peter says, I don't know what any of this was about. And I suppose I never will. And it's like Bendis is telling you, hey, guys, this one wasn't my best work. Just don't worry about it. Um. And we see, meanwhile, in New Jersey, Iron Man and Nick Fury arrive to the location of the call to Roxxon, because remember, they traced it. And they blow a hole in the wall, and they find a creepy scientist building weapons and a superhero suit. And I'm just going to read this whole page, because it was, for once in the issue, it was a lot of text, and the stuff actually kind of mattered. Um... And Nick Fury asks the guy, so what's going on? You're you're an inventor? And he says, I tinker. Oh, he's probably the tinkerer. He is the tinkerer. Oh. And, he works uh, with the vulture. I saw Spider-Man Homecoming. Yes. And Nick Fury gets a call in his earpiece and he says, oh, you got him in custody? Make sure the bird costume. And the tinkerer says vulture. It's supposed to be a vulture he says, make sure it's not booby-trapped before you try and remove it. And the Tinkerer says, it's not. And Fury IDs this guy as Elijah Stern. And he says, you worked for research and development for Roxxon. And he fired you. And you had a temper tantrum. And, John, this just feels so much, like, really late. Like, uncharacteristically shoddy and lazy writing by Bendis. Because... It's like the final pages of this entire story arc, and he's introducing the villain that we've not met yet and telling us his entire deal through conversation that would not happen organically. Yeah. And And also, he's like um, all the MCU villains who are like, Tony Stark fired me, and now I'm going to kill people over it. Yeah, this this whole... Everything with the vultures seemed like such a late addition to this storyline that could have just been its own storyline. Um, or if this, like, I don't know, story- maybe this would be a better storyline if if it was a, the next issue and it was about how he got fired from Stark Industries and that's why he's doing this. And instead of like randomly throwing it all in with the rocks on stuff that we don't really care about anyways. Well, if they had known all along, oh, the story, this arc is going to be about they're looking for whoever's attacking Roxxon, and it's going to lead back to the Tinkerer. Why not plant those seeds in the other four issues we've read about this? Why not have, like, a mysterious guy call and threaten, or someone say, oh, the Tinkerer's not going to like this? Like, they could have done that so easily. Or even just make it a little more like um a a little more i don't know like you knew that someone was attacking roxon 
This whole time when Roxanne's been like, Spider-Man keeps saving me from attacks, I have been thinking, it's just dumb luck, man. Like, not, you're you're looking for stuff where it's not there. But now, apparently, someone was actually attacking Roxanne, like, on purpose, multiple times. But that isn't, like, clear enough, I don't think. Yeah, we, we should have had little hints of the Tinker, like doing stuff these in, in all five of these issues or even before then whenever Peter was fighting the people who he saved rocks on from dude I remember like so little of the details about <laughs> about all of this who were the original people that made rocks on want to kidnap spider-man like who did he who who did spider-man first stop that even set this storyline in motion it wasn't uh, Omega Red, right? Because Omega Red, he that was during the actual storyline. So it was yeah, this was set then. up a while ago. There was some, I don't even remember who it was. It was a villain where I was like, I don't know who this guy is. And he yeah. like attacked a lab. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I, I do like the idea of the Tinkerer, but I don't like the idea of him coming in in the last pages of a five-issue run. And having been the bad guy all along, and we've never and having, seen him and before. having been set, yeah, and he's the one that like set all of this up. Yeah, he also just doesn't give off that intimidating of a persona to you know, not to, at all. Yeah, and uh, Fury cuts the Tinkerer a deal. He kind of Operation Paperclips him. He says he can agree to therapy and build for Shield, or Fury can shoot him right there and take all of his stuff, anyways. And the Tinker is like, I like the first offer. And uh, Fury points at something ominously shadowed. And he says, what's that one? And the Tinkerer says, oh, I call it the Slayer. And Fury says, what is it, Slay? And the Tinkerer says, what do you got? And the way they're all drawn, we kind of get this like nefarious sense from Nick Fury. Like, more so than we've gotten before. Like, he's always been the guy that's illegally wiretapping everyone. But now he just looks evil. He does. Okay, I was I was gonna ask you, what do we think of Nick Fury on this last page? He's he's doing some threatening, which is fine. He's you know basically forcing the supervillains to work for them, which is maybe not as fine, you know. And and his face definitely looks evil. And I don't like the look of the Slayer thing either. Yeah, I. You know, God forbid it's some kind of spider slayer. That's a thing. I've heard that before. That Yeah, that's what they're setting up. That's the that's the implication where he's like, well, what is it slay? And he's like, whatever you need it to, boss. Why would he need it to slay Spider-Man? Because it's called a spider slayer. <laughs> the okay. thing, fair, the fair thing itself begets its own cause. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the next day, Roxxon uh, is walking to his limousine, and he's surrounded by paparazzi trying to ask questions like, hey, man, your building blew up yesterday. Any comment about this or that? And he gets in the car, and Silver Sable is already in there and demands her money and threatens to kill him if he tells anyone about her. And it's like, did both of them forget that she said she was going to do this for free? <laughs> Did that, that plot she just didn't get do dropped? a good job anyways? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, it's just extortionist. This caused way more than trouble than she's worth. She did offer to do it for free. And, yeah. 
but Roxanne, I think she just she knows a rube when she sees one, you know. Yes. And this guy just doesn't have it in him to fight her on any of this. Yeah, that's fair. She's like, at this point, pay me or I'm going to kill you. And he's yeah. like, okay, this has nothing to do with Spider Man anymore. I just don't want to get killed. Yeah. Um. And then we suddenly see a scene of Spider-Man bursting into Flash Thompson's bedroom and Flash threatening him with a baseball bat to leave his family alone. And we zoom out and see it's a Lifetime Channel recreation of the Flash Thompson story that Peter is watching. And he's on the phone with Kitty and all he can hear is laughter. Flash probably did get paid for this. Oh, for sure. Let's go. Um... And he's on the phone with Kitty, and all he can hear is laughter, and Peter asks if she thinks she should really be laughing at him in his face. The scene, did you say what the scene is? The scene, Peter, Peter, like, bursts in. It's the, it's basically starts just like we saw it, where he's like, Flash Thompson, but then it's Flash with a baseball bat, and he's like, how dare you, Spider-Man? I will protect my family. You think you can just come in here and threaten my family? And he's got the baseball bat. He goes, it's clobbering time. Yeah, he's he's standing up for all the little guys to big bad Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, some creative liberties were definitely taken with the Lifetime movie. And uh, so Peter's like, do you think you should really be laughing at me this early in the relationship and kitty says that wasn't me that was wolverine and we get a zoomed out view of all the x-men sitting in their living room watching the tv and laughing at peter is that geldoff that i see in the um, in the in the long sleeve shirt on the left side with the amazing hair or is that somebody else i'd say that's colossus okay I don't think anyone remembers Geldof at this point. Well, that's point. why I, I was wondering, you know, I know he was an ultimate guy, so. Yeah, unfortunately, no. Um, and Kitty tells Peter not to sweat it. The show's over. It already aired. And Peter says, oh, no, it's not over. And the next panel we see is Peter in the halls the next day, where Flash Thompson is rising up two pretty ladies at once, bragging about the movie. And Peter looks pissed because he can't say anything. And and Flash is like, <laughs> they're like, do you really think he's one of our teachers? And the other girl's like, I think he's probably one of the janitors based on how, you know, disgusting he always looks. And Flash is like, he actually did smell bad. <laughs> and the girls are like, oh, my gosh, so gross. And Peter's just listening to all of it. It's fun. Now that's fun fun. ending. This yep. is probably the best page of the whole issue here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, out of out of ten inventions from the Tinkerer, okay. what do you give this one? Um, I will give this one a seven out of ten. Tinkers, Tinkerer's invention. Yeah. 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 I I didn't. I didn't think it was like I. I thought it was better than most of the other ones in this run. Um, I did kind of like, you know, Nick Fury and Iron Man showing up and talking to the Tinkerer and this stuff at the end was, was good fun. And we didn't really get that much silver sable or rocks on stuff in it. So that's good because I'm tired of them. So, you know, not great. Not as bad as last week's, which was still only like a six out of 10. So I'll give it a seven out of 10. 
Yeah, I'm going to give it a 6.5. It feels like a very rushed conclusion to a story that they realized just wasn't working. And I kind of want to like praise them for the little uh, self-depreciating lines here and there about, I don't even know what's going on. None of this makes sense to me. <laughs> but that in and of itself doesn't actually save the story arc. It just shows that they were aware of how bad it had gotten. Yeah, that's it's interesting that, you know, we can read these and be like, this isn't their best work. And then I wouldn't think this, but the way you the way you're talking is like by the end of this series, even they know it's not working, which I guess it has been, you know, four months since the first part. So but. I guess I would just assume that the whole thing is written in advance and then it is separated into five parts, not the first part is written, then the second part is done, then the third part is done, you know? I don't think they have the time to write out five issues and sit on them. They, I mean, they they kind of draft up where they think things are going to go, but it really is you make one issue and you're on a deadline and then you start on the next one. Yeah. So I think by the time they were writing the fifth issue, the reviews had already been in for probably the first two or three. Okay. And by reviews, I mean like however many dozen yeah. fans write into the letters column. <laughs> dozens. There are dozens of us. <laughs> but also they're professionals and they have editors and they can know like, hey, man, you know, we've written some really great stuff. This isn't that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you know so what? <clears throat> yep. I was going to say, what? I know you like to know what we're looking forward to. I was just time. about to ask. Next story arc Deadpool. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? And if you look at the cover, it looks like Peter has a mysterious female sidekick in a costume we've never seen. Oh, but she, but she my... has brown hair. Is it Kitty? It might be Kitty. Oh my gosh. That, that costume is truly dreadful, but you know, there's some things to look forward to. Oh wow, yeah, they cover up all the skin on a lady and Zach doesn't like the costume anymore. Go figure. No. Dude, I do not want <laughs> Kitty Pride to just be as she's not one of the characters where it makes <laughs> sense to have her half naked. I'm just saying this is ugly. Yeah, I like a good yellow and green. She's like the Hornet or something. Yeah, I bet that's what they were thinking, too. Yeah. It is kind of funny because in the classic X-Men stuff, it's almost a running joke how bad Kitty dresses and really? how she can't stick to a costume. Like, she's changing them all the time and none of them are iconic and none of them can stick. And it's, I don't know if it's intentional or if it's just funny that the same thing happens in the Ultimate Universe. Huh. That is funny. Yeah, none of the X-Men really have... I mean, they all just have X costumes. Well, I mean, you know what Wolverine usually wears. You know what Cyclops usually wears. You know, there's some... Rogue has a pretty well, iconic Cyclops. outfit. Okay. Okay, but, yeah. But then you think about people like Kitty Pride or Jean Grey, and you can picture a million different things that they've worn. Jubilee. Jubilee only wears that... Uh, that yellow, um, like trench coat thing. You know, you can't picture her without it. 
Okay. Okay. I I I'm not as big on X Men as I I don't know them at all. So gotcha. when I think of like what Logan wears, I mean I think of like jeans and a leather jacket, which is just clothes because of know. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking and about Cyclops the is always just wearing a thing on his eyes. <laughs> that is true. He doesn't go anywhere X, without the thing on his and eyes. Professor X is always his costume is is like a chair. <laughs> that was messed up. Anyways, okay. did we so get cool. into Doctor Who? Let us get Speaking into some wheelchairs, Zach. There's a wheelchair lady in these Doctor Who episodes. I'm sure. Oh we'll yeah, talk there, about her. there was. Yep. Yep. Is that What's rude? The, is the not, grandpa she's not just your wheelchair lady? The grandpa's also in a wheelchair. That's we true. Got two wheelchairs in these two Doctor Who episodes. Wheelchairs. Wow. Let's, Okay, so Let's how do go. you want to? How do so, listeners? If you just aren't interested, you know, just go ahead. Zach, put the timestamps in so they can just skip to something what else. What are you doing? They I'm, just, I'm just saying if they don't want to, Zach, you're gonna sell them on the greatest television program in I history. I actually might. I actually might. Um, so this so, is my this is my favorite show. It's not the best show, but it is my favorite. That's fine. You know what? I would rather have something that is someone's favorite than something that's objectively the best. Things that are objectively good can be boring as hell. Like, sometimes, you know, you watch the movie that won Best Picture, and you're like, yeah, I get it. They're but always also, terrible. I'd rather watch Hot Rod. Dude, when I was in, in a college, like, telecom film and video class or something like that, one of the classes... This group of grad students came in and showed this like 15 minute short movie that they made that cost like 20 grand to make. And it was like a big thing. It was like a big deal that these grad students had like done this and and they came in and showed it. It was the worst, most boring piece of I've ever seen in my life. And my buddy Steve will tell you this also. He remembers this as vividly as I do sitting in there watching and it was about this like guy who like his violin broke or something and it belonged to his dad so he's like sad and he had to get it fixed and blah 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 he was like a violin maker i don't even know it was so boring and so slow paced and and like artsy fartsy you know and oh my gosh that's uh, that's all steve and i were talking about because the professor is like they, can you can you believe they've done this? It's a masterpiece. They're they're submitting it to it cost twenty grand, and we're like, yeah, but it was the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. What? <laughs> I'm just imagining the breakdown of that budget. Like, okay, twenty grand, nice. One k for the cameras, one k for a nice violin. You know, five k for for our actors. We're blowing the rest of this trip club. <laughs> Probably what happened. Um, okay, so how do you want to start with this uh, with this Doctor Who review? Should we just like get into special one? Yeah, or... let's do that. Let's talk about the specials and then uh, move back and and talk about you know um, more broadly where the franchise has been. Okay, so special one. Um. Available now it. on Disney Plus. It's on Disney Plus. Yep, and maybe I'll just do a quick review of it. 
Yes. The doctor and Donna. The doctor's got his old face back. He's David Tennant again. And gosh, actually one of my least favorite parts of this special was just how it began. I don't know if you remember it, but it begins on this like terrible green screen of David Tennant like talking about what happened in the past. And Catherine Tate, who's Donna Noble, is also like talking about what happened in the past. And he's just like plastered over this picture of the universe like talking about it and he's like my best friend donna noble if she ever remember anyway i right away i was like "Uh uh-oh we might be in trouble here (laughs) i don't think i hated it as much as you because i hadn't watched that original stuff so i didn't necessarily know the whole backstory i just knew oh this is like his uh companion that's his buddy who followed him around on adventures and for some reason uh she doesn't remember him yeah I don't really like it when, like, the doctor shouldn't know he's, like, narrating events to people who are listening, you know? I would have rather they just showed clips of old episodes that gave us that story. Anyway, no big deal. I can see no it. No big deal. It feels almost like they they marketed this special not for the Johns of the world, but for the Zacks of the world, who are like, what's Doctor Who? I guess I'll check it out and go in knowing nothing. <laughs> I think you're probably right. And and they did it. And I think that they did a good job. But, you know, so David Tennant's back. Catherine Tate's back. You know, they meet by random happenstance. It's really fun. Um, and then... They find an alien named the Meep, and it turns out the Meep is evil. Well, before uh, that, (laughs) the Meep does a lot of cute stuff, and they're protecting the Meep. And you're supposed to like the Meep and think it's it's this cute little guy. And I just kept thinking, me and my friends would have killed that (laughs) thing with a hammer. We, we would have seen his shit. little bug that eyes <laughs> and his raccoon hands, and he would have been like, the meep comes in pink, and we would have already been stomping his brains out. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, the meep, the the fun, cute meep, that's all practical. That's a, that's like a, that's a practical effect that they built. Like a puppet. Like a puppet. So were you, how how were you when the meep turned evil? What were you thinking? Were you expecting it? Were you were you not expecting it? Because yeah, there's this cute meep, but then they find out that it's the meep that's the monster the whole time, not the aliens that are hunting it. They're like the the space cops. <laughs> that doesn't make them sound better. <laughs> no, um, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys, these like. <coughs> Big guys with guns and like you know sh- riot shield masks and stuff. They show up and you think, oh, these look like bad guys, and they're firing their space lasers and trying to get the meep. And it's it seems so obviously black and white that I could tell something was up. I was like, this is not going to be how it actually is. Yeah, and then the doctor does a fun little, uh, you know, he puts on a a wig like he's holding court in England, and um. That's that's a that's a good bit that maybe you you he he's there's a thing called the shadow proclamation that's kind of like the space laws kind of so that's why he's like 
oh, I'm calling this court in the shadow proclamation, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I thought that was a good, good fun bit. And they find out the Meep is evil. And then they've got to stop the Meep. And they eventually do. And Zach, I've got like, I just made lists of like things that happened in it that were worth touching on. So have we done a good enough review that now we can just bounce around and talk about stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about Donna's daughter. Okay, well... Or if you had something you wanted to hit on first. I've got like a million things I want okay. to hit on first. Let's okay. do it. I'm just going to go down my list of things. Okay. Some right. of them are good. Some of them are bad. I said... I'm getting a little bit tired of David Tennant saying what, and we're only three minutes into the episode. It's probably <laughs> not something that annoyed you, Zach, but that's like his catchphrase. He's always like, what, what, what? He always says it three times and he did it twice in the first like three minutes. And I'm like, oh my God, we get it. We've all seen David Tennant. We know he says what, what, what a bunch of times, you know? I feel what? like every time I encounter something that's like Doctor Who-y, I find out about some new like hallmark of the genre, of the of the thing, you know? Like I didn't know that that was his thing. I thought Alonzi or That's um, that's one of his things also. Yeah. Weebly wobbly timey wimey and I don't know. It it's such a rich uh history for like a franchise that People like me, rubes like me, can't even know, like, the tip of the iceberg. Um, so, so I said that. Then S.H.I.E.L.D. shows up. I think we mentioned before, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s like, or Unit is like, Unit shows up. Unit's like the S.H.I.E.L.D. of Doctor Who. And, you know, there are, <clears throat> now if we are getting into, like, Donna's daughter a little bit. Watching this episode the first time... Maybe I am just an idiot, but I did not even realize that she was transgendered. You know, I looked up the actress afterwards because I was like, Are, is that is that like actually a transgendered actress? Yes, she is. I So I didn't catch some of the stuff that, that they were really saying the first time. I probably just wasn't watching it like closely enough. But watching it yesterday in preparation for this... Gosh, I think they do a really good job of, like, not being super heavy-handed about, I don't know, sometimes you watch the MCU nowadays and, like, they just can't bring up any sort of subject without, like, preaching on it and making it sound like they're talking down to the audience. And there's a couple scenes in this early on that I think are just, like, really, really like good and kind of powerful one of them is when donna and rose are like walking home and there's these boys on their bikes that the first time i watched it i probably just thought they were like shouting randomly you know in the background but they're dead naming her and and it's just like a, it's a good scene because it's like gosh this is like really hard and, you know, you do get some good, like, character development of Donna also just, like, kind of standing up for her daughter and just being... She's got a really good line where she's like, if anything ever happens, I will descend upon them. Like, you know, she... Like, and and I just love that. 
when when Donna says she will descend. And then there's another scene in there where Donna is talking to her mom about Rose. And the mom is like, I just get so confused sometimes. Like, I said she looks beautiful. I never said she looks beautiful back when she was, you know, and then she kind of like stops herself. And Donna's like, does she look beautiful? Yes. Then you can say she looks beautiful. You just you just got to stop thinking about it so much, you know. But that feels like a very real conversation that like people would be going through, especially like older people who don't really know, you know, it's probably hard to 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 keep, you know, to just not misspeak or or you know, blah 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 things like that, right? So I think there's a lot of good like stuff here especially like for transgendered people without without coming across as like heavy-handed or preachy or anything like that yeah i i agree i i think it's cool that they have a trans character where that's not her only thing we know about her like it's more relevant to the story that she likes crocheting these weird little creatures in her she shed and selling them online than the fact that she's trans. Like that's yeah. cool that she gets to be um, a person beyond just the one, you know, part of her identity. Yeah. Um. Okay. So let's see. What do I have next here? Oh my gosh! The scene where they so Rose finds the meep and then she like brings it back to the shed, and Donna comes into the shed and she like finds the meep in there. And Donna is screaming about, like, there's a Martian in the backyard. And Donna's mom is, like, screaming about how it's not real because she doesn't want her to remember the Martians. And the doctor is, like, pounding on the door to try to get in. And everyone's just yelling about all this stuff. It was so much fun. I, I, that's what I, I said. This is such good fun. This is, like, classic Doctor Who. And the mom slaps the doctor, which is always good when the doctor gets slapped by someone's mom. Yeah, it was a very chaotic scene, but like in a fun, campy way. <laughs> yep. Um, and then they mention Wilf, who is doing great in a in a home that's being run by Kate Stewart and Unit, which is was like perfect. You know, gave me a little a little smile. Um, at one point they say the doctor calls the meep a he, and Rose is like, "You're just gonna assume his." their pronouns and he's like you're right what what do you prefer to go by meep and he's like i i prefer the def definite article i'm just the meep and the doctor's like oh i get that perfect because that's what the doctor goes by you know so if anybody would understand that it would be the doctor who always just goes by the doctor i didn't know that i didn't pick up on that so they wouldn't say you know Oh, he's in the other room. They'd say the doctor's in the other room. Yeah, kind of. I mean, they. I mean, they. Of course, sometimes they probably refer to the doctor using pronouns, but I don't think the doctor. The, that's how the doctor probably would refer to himself. He wouldn't say he's a he or a she. He's just like I'm, just the doctor. Gotcha. Um, when they are all escaping the space cops at the beginning, and the doctor is doing stuff with his sonic screwdriver, and then he hands the sonic screwdriver to Donna, who just kind of takes it. She's like in in the assistant companion role without even like knowing it. You know, he just like hands it off to her and she takes it. Amazing. Gosh, because she's like remembering Zach. 
Oh, yeah, and they're, like, trying to stop her from remembering stuff, but it's coming anyway, right? Yes, yes. I felt the I felt the tension there. I was like, okay, this is like a cool. I can get into like cosmic soap opera stuff. Like that comes up in X Men a lot. This felt very much like a you know, like oh, destiny has other plans than what we want. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, and, and, and it then, just felt kind of inevitable. Yeah, and then the and then the scene towards the end where they're all escaping. And and Donna kind of like locks her family on the other side, and she's like, "I have to go help the doctor." Oh my gosh! When I say it, brought tears to my eyes. I'm being serious because everything does, but but it's just a good. It's gosh, I I do just love these two characters so much. There is no better season of Doctor Who than Doctor Who season four, where it is Doctor the Doctor and Donna. You know, it might not have the best episodes or be my favorite doctor but but those two together were the most fun doctor who ever was did they only have one season together yep huh and now these specials they had the a christmas people... they had a christmas special in between season 1 and between season 2 and 3 and then donna was the full companion for season 4 and then she's now come back for these three specials see the way f- doctor who fans talk about these two i thought for sure she was with him like most or all of his run which i thought was several years she's the best she's no this this doctor david Tennant's doctor had three companions over the course of three seasons he was with rose for one season then he was with martha then he was with donna interesting yeah um and then you know zach something about this final scene where they're stuck in the wait a minute so yeah. Rose isn't Donna's daughter's name Rose? Yeah, that's that's like where it came from. That's part of why like she picked that name Rose is because she she like remembers Rose. Interesting. So they knew each other. Um, or he just talked about her. They sort of ended up meeting, but it was more they they met like in the in one of her last episodes. It's like a big Avengers like reunion of all of the Doctor's companions from the past that kind of come together, and so they do sort of meet, but it's mostly like she knows of Rose from the Doctor mentioning how important Rose was to him and that he like lost her. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> and then in this final scene. This is the one that I told you made me think of you because they're just in the box and they're pressing a million buttons and saying a million different things. I was and waiting like, for this Zach, to come up. Zach is going to love this. But you know what's really interesting about that scene that you probably didn't pick up on is that is very similar to how David Tennant's doctor died and had to regenerate as he was stuck in a little glass box, but not with Donna, but with her grandpa. And he ended up sacrificing himself to, like, save Wilf. So there were, like, a ton of parallels in that in that little moment. And I thought it was going to be when... I thought it would have been a good time for Do- Donna to die. You know, you don't ever want to see your favorite characters die. But I was like, this is a good death right here, you know. she's She came back. She remembers everything. She's helping to save the day. It's super paralleled to when the Doctor died, you know, with Wilf. This is like a good a good episode right here. And then she ends up surviving. And it's kind of, you know, oh well. 
But do, do we want to? Okay, so for those who don't remember or haven't heard, I had told John my hang up with Doctor Who was it felt like every single story or arc or episode gets resolved by him running around a room, pulling levers, pressing buttons, talking so fast you can't hear what he's saying, and the music starts swelling, and eventually he, like, presses one final button or pulls one final lever and says some cute catchphrase, and somehow the day is saved, and you don't know what just happened. And he was like, that's not true. And then this first episode came out, and that's exactly how the climax goes. exactly what happened. Um, Okay, I do... I do have a slight problem with this winter soldier programming for Donna that like gave her her memory back where he like said 15 words in a row. And then all of a sudden she like remembered everything. I thought Sell that was door. just, I, I, I thought that was so ridiculous because I was like, just get on with it, man. And that's what Donna was saying. Also, she's like, just do it already. And he's like talking slowly saying one word at a time. Um, Gotta build the tension. And then um, I liked that Donna's daughter saved the day, that she kind of like got that Time Lord energy through birth. I thought that was a really good way to like split that between her and Donna so it doesn't kill either one of them. Um, And I liked her saving the day. It made me smile when they cut to her and she's like doing her stuff. And it's like, just like when they cut to Donna and Donna was doing her stuff when she got the metacrisis energy back in the was, day was this the part where everyone's like binary 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 and then she says <laughs> non-binary yeah that yeah. was the heavy-handed part for the, me because the, the, the heavy-handed stuff came at the end of this episode i think they did all of it really good until kind of towards the end she's not even non-binary she's she's a trans woman she's binary just on the other end of what she was you know assigned at birth they they start talking and they're like you know talking quick wrapping everything up and the dot and the doctor and donna they're like it got passed on to her because the doctor they're like finishing each other's sentences right they're like because the doctor is binary and non-binary and male and female and both and neither and everyone's talking and it's like what does this have to do with anything that we just did? <laughs> oh, yeah. They're saying, like, because of her magical time travel energy in birth, it made her trans. And it's like, that also seemed kind of reductive, where it's like, no, nah, man, people can just be trans because they're trans. Like, I didn't, I didn't even, re- I didn't think that that's what th- they were saying, but I do kind of get that. I, I guess I was more thinking of it as the doctor can be any of those things, not she is trans because of this happened. But I guess that does make sense that maybe maybe that's what they were saying. She she became trans because she's got like the doctor's energy and the doctor is like non-binary or something. So that's how I took it. Yeah, there was a lot of and then that stuff at the very end where they're like, well, how are you going to get rid of the Time Lord energy? And they're like something a male presenting time lord would never understand and i'm like why what (laughs) the doctor they're like we'll just let it go and i'm like women letting stuff go you've never met my wife obviously (laughs) okay (laughs) just joking um but, (laughs) but but i thought that was 
That was a little silly. But all in all, Zach, I like this episode. It was so much fun. I loved having the Doctor and Donna back. Do we want to... Um, the new TARDIS design, fantastic. That's something that, that a bunch of Doctor Who people... Anyone who's watched Doctor Who before, when they saw the new, ti- the new TARDIS design, everyone pointed at the screen and went, the round things are back. I love the round things because that's like a Doctor Who thing. There's, I there's... didn't know that it changed every time, and I saw so to me the Matt Smith TARDIS is what the inside looks like, and I was like, "Why is it different?" And yeah. it's like, "Oh no, that's part of the fun. It changes." And I'm like, "It oh, always okay. changes." And this time they brought the round things back, which which is a classic look. Um, so it was just great. I thought uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. You want to do a quick quick uh rating and move on to episode two? I I don't want this episode to go like two and a half hours long. <laughs> It can be longer than than usual, though. Okay. I, I think I'm going to cut the Family Guy stuff at the be- beginning Okay. Uh, to give us a little bit more, you know. <laughs> Good. Don't yeah. think of what, what it says on the counter as, like, what we're actually at. Just okay. say what you got to say. Okay. So what's our rating for this? How about uh, out of uh, 10 meeps? Oh, my God. Out of 10 meeps crushed by a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. The meat turning evil, though, we didn't really even talk about that, but I liked it. I thought it was fun, you know. It made me feel not as bad for wanting about to beating splatter him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess seven beeps. Like, I don't know. I don't know if this was a good or bad episode by Doctor Who standards. I didn't get everything, but it, it, it I was, had fun uh, watching it. It was the... It was the best episode in a while. You know, I, I I think all three of these, you know, gosh, it makes me upset that Jodie Whittaker, Whittaker's era was so bad because obviously she was the first female doctor and everyone hated her for that. But it doesn't help that the episodes were trash and the writing was trash and none of it was any good either. You know, that doesn't help her cause. It's not her fault, but also you know, these episodes probably had three times the budget her episodes did yeah but that's not there's a lot of cgi issues with these three episodes that i don't care about at all when you're watching doctor who you don't care it's not that's not what it's about you know if you watch the early doctor who episodes from like 2005 to 2009 or something i mean they're they're all just campy, goofy CGI, you know, it doesn't really yeah. matter. I do remember at the time it was coming out thinking the Matt Smith CGI, it was like hit or miss, you know, but sometimes I yeah. thought it was pretty good. That's that's when they started, I think, trying to crank up the realism just a bit is the Matt Smith era. Yeah, they, they toned down some of the camp. Um. OK, so we've got a. Uh, I'm going to I'll give it a seven and a half. Okay. So we're pretty close. Yep. Actually, I'll give it an eight. That was good fun. All right. Okay. Doctor Who special two wild blue yonder. Um, okay. So there's, there's different types of Doctor Who episodes. I told you this. There's like the most famous one is a base under siege. I think that's the most famous type of Doctor Who episodes. They go to some spaceship or some base. It's being attacked. They've got to save the day and get out. You know, another classic one is like alien invasion, right? That's 
That's what we just got with the meat. That's a classic Doctor Who type. So you've got like alien invasion, base under siege, or historical fiction. We go to a real thing that happened in history, and now we're going to see like, oh, the Doctor was there doing it, right? We sort of get both in this episode because we start with him meeting uh, Isaac Newton under the apple tree to start. And, and then we go into a base under siege. <laughs> were they oh yeah I'm that was sure. one of the last things i saw during my time on twitter was people complaining about sir isaac newton being black in doctor who as if that is among even the top 10 inaccuracies or you know Dude. creative liberties they're taking and i'm like it doesn't matter guys i know i know i just like don't get why people get upset about certain things like that like it just doesn't matter it's like acting zach they're it's... actors <laughs> like if it was a like a movie like oppenheimer or napoleon that's supposed to be you know a serious depiction of something sure whatever make your little complaints but it's doctor who man that like they're gonna do what they want do gosh this is such a stupid question but do we even know that Do that isaac newton wasn't black or or some sort i don't know where he's from but i don't he's know he's british um and there's yeah, black like, people can be, be british too there can but i mean he was like there's paintings of him and he's like uh was a noble person and i think they would have denoted if he was black because it would have been either rare or not allowed well whatever it doesn't matter it doesn't well, here's my bone to pick with that with that scene and i hate it and i'm gonna talk about it i don't like that they decided to call gravity mavity and i hate even more that for the next two issues and probably for the rest of doctor who we're gonna have to deal with the word gravity being mavity because Isaac Newton heard them say it and he didn't hear it properly. So now when he invents gravity, he calls it Mavity. And how did he possibly mishear that? It doesn't make any sense because he didn't come up. Zach, there's such things as roots and stems in words. And that's how words are made. And he came up with the word gravity because of the root of the word grav already meant something it means like to weigh down i looked this up like months ago after this episode came out and and that's a latin root you know that's where he got the word from the root mav means nothing to do with anything it wouldn't make sense that he would make this word mean this meaning it's, I, it just annoyed me i mean to me, it matters as much as the fact that, you know, Sir Isaac Newton is black in this. I, I was about to it's say things so that you're not supposed to overthink. It's just the scene they wanted to set up. Well, it's stupid. And I'm wondering who's a bigger dork, the racist people or me? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, OK, then they go off. Then they then they go off and they they go to this base that's under siege. And um, the wild blue yonder war song plays. Okay, we got to do our we got to do the recap, right? So they go to this base, and it turns out that there's something on the ship that made the TARDIS run away because of one of the like things that's turned on on the TARDIS because it's a brand new TARDIS. So it like spits them out and then leaves, and they're stuck. 
So so basically, there's something on the TARDIS that if it's in trouble or it senses danger, it will leave. And the doctor turns that off because, of course, he does because otherwise they wouldn't go get into any adventures. But when the TARDIS rebooted, it got turned back on. So they landed somewhere. There's danger there. And it ran away. So it couldn't fall into the wrong hands. So now they're stuck with no sonic screwdriver, no TARDIS. I kind of love seeing the Doctor have to do stuff without his Sonic and his TARDIS. It just makes for a good episode in general. So they go, they're walking around, and there's just a lot of things going on at this ship that they can't quite understand. You know, there's there's random words being said, um, and like over there's the no one around. There's no yeah. one around. There's just a robot that's kind of doing nothing in the middle of the corridor, and then. These creatures appear and start. And they, keep, and they keep hearing banging, and they're like, "What's that banging?" Yep. There's just a lot of like questions, breadcrumbs being dropped, and it's yes. like, I didn't, I didn't really think some of them would have a payoff. I was like, "Oh, there's just weird stuff that won't be explained." And to its credit, yeah. it they all matter. They they do. Maybe let's just go through the notes instead. I don't know. Sorry. No, no you can you can you can finish your recap and then we'll go through well i don't know this there's like my so favorite. much to re- me too oh my gosh me too so there's so much so maybe let's just go through the notes and we'll talk about stuff as i as we as we touch on them okay so so when donna is like there's something on this ship so bad the tardis ran away Let's go kick its ass. I've, oh my gosh. I just love Donna Noble so much. And she storms out. Um, Wilf, they're talking about the Wild Blue Yonder War song that the TARDIS played like when it spit them out. And she's talking about Wilf. So that's an Air Force war song. And she's like, yeah, we used to, we used to have to sing that when we were kids in school. And Wilf would complain to the teacher. He's like... Yeah, it sounds like a fun song, but it's a song about going to war. The kids shouldn't be singing that. And I, that's just perfect characterization for Wilf. Like, because that's how his character was. He was he was a soldier, but it, he took it as like a point of pride that he never fired his gun. And, you know, he never killed anybody. And he's just like a very, like, that's... That's like his type of personality, you know, that he's just kind of like a pacifist, but not really a pacifist, but, but, you know, that stuff is important to him. So it's just really good characterization. Um, and I liked hearing about it. And then let's see, they go into a room, they're trying to figure out what happened. They're following. And we still, the at this point, haven't met this Wilf grandpa guy that meant so much to them. And I assumed Oh, he was important, you know, back in the day when these episodes were coming out, but the actor is dead. I thought there was a reason they weren't showing him to us. Well, he um yeah, he was important in the episodes back in the day. He 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 even traveled with the doctor in a couple episodes and like without Donna. He's a great character. He's like probably a lot of people's favorite characters. Yeah, and um, the doctor would say things like that too. He'd be like greatest man I ever knew. I can't yeah. wait to see him again. Yeah. I, but I just thought for sure, like, oh, he hasn't showed up. They're, this is them writing him out, but saying he's still around. 
Yeah. And um, so then the doctor and Donna go into a room and they're trying to figure out, they find a computer, like a captain's chair. And the doctor's like, if I can, if I can find their numbers on this computer screen, I can translate their language just using like their base numbers. And it takes him like one minute to translate their language. He's like, okay, one, two, that's three, four, five, six. Okay. Got it. That's like, I just love it, Zach. I love it when, like, that's how it should be. You've got this, like, genius alien Time Lord. That's how he should figure things out, you know, like, that quickly almost. So it's just, like, good writing that that we really haven't gotten in Doctor Who for, like, the past four years. Because normally it is always just, like, talking as fast as possible and you have no idea what the doctor's saying and nobody does and and it's just like then they solve the problem but here you actually get to like see what's happening you know you see how they solve the problem i feel like there's like maybe two or three different versions of science fiction as a genre you know there's like action-based science fiction which is like most of your um definitely newer like star wars movies or something you know where it's it's about the fight and then I feel like there's like maybe the other kind of Doctor Who, like what we got in the last episode, where it's like campy science fiction, and that's probably less common. But then the, what I really like is like smart, like intellectual science fiction that like, it you know, explores character or some problem or uses it as a vehicle for more nuanced storytelling. And that's why I like 2001 A Space Odyssey so much. And this felt like that, like the, it's hard to explain when I say I like science fiction, you know, and then people like recommend, you know, oh, well, why don't you watch this thing? And it's like, no, that's, that's not the science fiction I like. I like something like this specific episode of Doctor Who, where it's just sets up the perfect, you know, means by which to tell a really um, complicated, but also simple story at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. This is a very, it's a very good mystery that just as you go more and more, like you said, they they give you a lot of breadcrumbs, but then they do a really good job of like paying them off throughout the story. If every episode was like this, I think it'd be my favorite show too. So 18 minutes into this episode, they hear another word come over like the loudspeaker of the ship. And now they've heard two words, Zach, and... The, the doctor's trying to think of what it is and he's like maybe it's a countdown you know or a slow warning and not that we're really spoiling for anything but it does end up being a countdown and at the, on top of that it's it's specifically a slow countdown so that's really good that gets paid off a lot later when they actually do find out but but i wanted to make a note of that 18 minutes in that's when he says it's a countdown and um okay so then the doctor and donna split up they're doing their thing when the doctor comes back into the room could you tell right away that something was wrong or did you yes right right away he walked in the room you were like what's up with this guy now because yep. he walks in and he sits down and they just and he's just kind of staring there and and yeah i mean i knew i i could kind of tell right away also i was like and that's, he had, like, that's not the doctor just walked away to do something important and had had like a completely different disposition. Like he had been cheery and talkative 
And then he just immediately slumps back into the room and like leans on the wall and just slides down. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, um, it's yeah. I, uh, I think when I was watching with my sister, she, she said she didn't know. Cause, cause then it cuts back to the doctor in his area working on his thing. And she's like, wait a second. He was, wasn't he just right? Wasn't he with her? What just happened? And I'm like, you got to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, Donna and the doctor both have some awesome conversations to like their fake people. So, so, so the doctor's talking to the fake Donna. Donna's talking to the fake doctor and Donna's talking about what her family will do. Like, it, when they never come back, how long they'll wait. And gosh, it was just really good writing, you know, like really good characterization. Like she knows her family so well. And these writers know her family so well that everything she says is like what you would expect. And then the speech that the doctor gives about what he thinks happens to the TARDIS when it just lands somewhere and it just like sits on a seaside and, civilizations like first they try to destroy it because they don't understand it then they realize they can't destroy it so they build like monuments to it and they build a city around it and after thousands of years and all the civilizations have died the TARDIS is still there standing on that same spot and it's just like perfect and they've got this really good theme going that's called like Gallifrey our childhood our home that they've been using ever since like season two whenever they kind of talk about Gallifrey or things that are important to the doctor and it's like going over the background of it and it's just great it's just yeah. great I at this point when I'm watching this episode I've spent like a little over an hour with these characters in my entire life and when they're having these conversations I feel like I know them and I feel like these things are coming up organically and are necessary to the story unlike what we said in this ultimate Spider-Man issue where they just burst through the door and they say you're the tinkerer and you've been doing this and this because of this. And this is what we're setting. Yeah. It's not that at all. It's like truly organic, deep conversations that give you everything you need to know. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is. And now we get into the like actual storyline of the episode where both of the copies stand up and they're like, my arms are too long and they both have weird hanging arms. Those are all practical effects. Zach, the arms, they like built those big arms for them to walk around with. They were so gross. They look like they, they were wet noodles. <laughs> and, and when he did the jaw hang, Oh my gosh, that actually like got me. That's, that's terrifying. Um, one thing about this episode that I wish that they would have mentioned that they didn't, is, you know, we already talked about in the last one, there's like insane parallels between when they're stuck in the glass box. In this one, it is even more so that my like favorite episode of all time is called Midnight. It's back from season four with this doctor and Donna. And in it, the doctor gets copied by a person. Um, and... And basically, like, they start, like, it, it starts, like, copying the doctor, and it eventually, like, takes over, and the doctor starts copying it. It's, like, now the the real thing, and the doctor is the one that's, like, can't help but copy it. You know, he's, like, for, and it, it's a really good episode. Um, I did not do it justice with that explanation, but 
it's so similar in premise to this. I'm almost surprised that we didn't get some sort of a, it's something I would expect the doctor to bring up and be like, why is my face coming back? Why are all of these parallels happening from like things that we have done? We did years ago. Um, but it doesn't get mentioned, so I guess it's just, like, something for the fans to be like, oh, this is just like in Midnight when the Doctor is getting copied by something. Um, All of the conversations between the two Doctors and the two Donnas when they're, like, standing together trying to figure out who's who I think are just awesome. You know, I, I wish I had, like, more to say. I wish I was yes. a better reviewer than to just keep saying, like, this so is awesome. awesome, this is so fun. <laughs> Those were, I think what you're talking about was like my favorite scenes where Doctor and Donna got split up a second time and they don't know if they're talking to the um, the monsters impersonating them or the other one. And the, the monsters impersonating them don't know if they're talking to the other monster or the people that they're trying to copy, they're victims. <laughs> and so there's just these two tense conversations in different rooms happening simultaneously. And I thought all along, I was like, I chose a Donna that I hoped was real. And I chose, I chose a doctor that I hoped was real. And they were in the separate conversations. And it was based off of, well, this Donna is saying some really interesting stuff. And this doctor is doing some really interesting stuff. And I, it ended up being completely wrong. wrong. I chose the monsters on either side. But it's like the what Donna was saying, it wasn't important to the story that Donna was saying it. It was important that she felt it and wasn't saying it. But now the doctor is hearing it and knows that that's how yeah. she feels. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. I, I didn't I didn't know who was who in, in those also. I was sitting there watching like, oh, my God, which is which? Like, you know. <laughs> And because the fake doctor, there's a there's a part where he's like, I can prove to you I'm real. Watch this. And he takes off his tie and he throws it on the ground. He's like, see, I'm going to be the one who has no tie. And she's like, that doesn't mean anything. You could still be the monster. And he's like, yeah, I guess that's right. And then like 10 minutes pass. And she's like, where's your tie? And he looks down at the ground. He's like, oh, I see. When I stop wearing things, they still exist. I'll keep that in mind next time. And you realize yeah. he's the monster. Yeah. But it's when he just creepy. When he just like was a whimsical goofball and was like threw his tie on the ground for no reason, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's the doctor." I was thinking the same thing. I was like, "That's good doctoring right there," you know, to be like, "These guys might not know. Is it skin? Is it clothes? They don't know how this stuff works." So I'll just take you know, and they didn't because it disappeared. Yep. Um. So, getting to my favorite scene in this episode they've they've kind of met back up you know the doctor and donna are together because i figured out who which one is real and they're running and they trap themselves in the captain's room with the creatures on the other side of the door so there's this tense standoff of just all four of them kind of looking at each other and it's the doctor putting everything together and like thinking through everything and he finds out he while he's thinking he's like donna's like why are they trying to scare us why don't they just kill us and the doctor's like that's a good point they could just break in here and kill us if they wanted to why are they doing this and he's thinking and it's like because the more we think the faster our blood pumps 
and the more they're the quicker they're able to perfectly copy us and they know if they can copy us perfectly the TARDIS is going to come back and it's going to take them you know instead of taking us so they try to stand there and not think as much as they can and watching the doctor try to not think on this ship that has all of these different questions on it that he is like trying to figure out i i think it was watching that scene was the most fun i've had watching doctor who legitimately in like 5 years or more i was like standing up watching it like waiting for the next thing to happen because the other doctor the the monster doctor he is like how can you not think on a ship that's full of questions? Where's the captain? Why is the airlock door open three years ago? What is that metal clanging sound that keeps happening? What's the countdown that's going on? And you just see the doctor's face. He's like trying his hardest to not think about all of these answers because when he solves them, the monsters figure them out also. So, so if he figures out what's going on, the monsters are going to figure out what's going on. And and it was just perfect. And then the doctor eventually gives in. He's like, ah, oh, just let me think, let me think, let me think. And there's a perfect scene of the two monsters just going, think, 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 think. And oh my gosh, it was just awesome. It was fun watching him squirm. It was. And then and then they're figuring it out. The doctor's putting everything together. And at the same time, the clone doctor is, is putting everything together. So they're almost like finishing each other's sentences and thoughts. And this was another one of my favorite parts of the of the episode. They're finishing each other's thoughts and the the clone doctor is like they're like what are, they're figuring out what those words are that keeps going and the doctor's like oh they're they're numbers and the clone doctor says like it's a countdown and the doctor's like it's a countdown I knew it was a countdown I said it was a countdown right away <laughs> and I'm like he did. He did say that. And, you know, he's really- getting excited and forgetting that that's like the monster that's trying to kill. And re- he's like, oh, good. There's someone to talk to about this. I've been dying to talk about this. He, he just he has to be the cleverest person in the room at all times. So even though he's like by figuring this out, he's almost losing he just can't help himself. He's just like, I knew it was a countdown. I said it all that time ago. <laughs> Yes. Like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Um, and then we get classic Doctor Who. So they figure out it's a countdown to a bomb. The the captain turned the ship into a very slow moving bomb. That's why the robot's moving slow. That's why the countdown is happening slowly. It's happened. So this is all going on over the course of like three years, and they're only at number five out of ten right now. It's so slow that the monsters can't perceive the danger. Yep. And, but now they know because the doctor figured it out that, that all of this is happening. So they start running out to try and stop the robot from getting to the corridor. And the doctor, the real doctor, he has to speed up the countdown because if they get to it, then they'll be able to escape. Um, so they speed up the countdown, and now we get a really long running through corridors scene, which is per- classic Doctor Who, Zach, running through corridors. And we even get the Doctor running like a dog on all fours down the corridors. And, um, you the know, evil one, right? the, the evil one. Yep. And Donna's fighting her clone, and the bomb goes off. 
the monsters are not going to be able to get to it in time. And a time machine that ran away because there was hostile action, it would know that the monsters are not going to get to it in time. So right as the bomb is about to explode, the TARDIS comes back to save the doctor. And he jumps in the TARDIS and he grabs the wrong Donna. And there was a small part of me that thought Donna was going to die in that explosion. And I was going to be very upset about it because if she died in the first special, that's a fine death. But if she dies because the doctor picks the wrong one, that is a hard pill to swallow. And then he's bringing this like shape changer. That's going to take over and destroy the world. He's bringing it back. Yeah. But luckily, he realizes that her arms are slightly too long, so he flips the old doc, the the bad Donna out of the TARDIS, and the good Donna runs into the TARDIS, and they save the day. And Donna's not really that upset about it, which I think she should be. They should have fought. <laughs> they should have fought about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then one of the best scenes of the entire episode. They just land and they open the TARDIS doors and Wilf is there who has been camping out for two days right in the spot that they left, which is exactly what Donna said he would be doing. And I just love seeing Wilf so much. It It is heartbreaking that based on the end of this episode, I am guessing the third special, all three of them were going to be running around together. And he unfortunately passed away between this between when those specials were filmed. Oh, so, for real? So that's why he's he's in the very end of this one, but he's not in the third one at all. Wow. I know. It's it's so sad, but it but it is and also it felt so... to me like they were writing him out because he was already dead. So they could have so easily I mean, I hate to say like not had him in the the this one but like it, it's almost like they you know they gave you something that then they couldn't deliver on yeah but it but it's still an amazing scene to see him to see the doctor and wilf and donna all get to like reunite and she's got her memories back and wilf is like there and he's happy it's it's still great but it it is very sad that we should have got a really excellent story with all three of them and instead at the start of this third episode, we basically just see like a man in a wheelchair with his back turned or his head is always like obfuscated. And they're just like, go get my granddad to safety. And it's like, yes, ma'am. And that's the, and that's where we leave, you know, Wilf. So it's kind of disappointing, but I didn't even notice that. It's like right in the first minute of the next, of the next episode, we just see like a wheelchair, but we can't see who's in it. And then she's like, like I said, go get my granddad to safety. Okay. So, okay. What'd you think of this one out of, out of 10? I don't know. Out of 10, what? Uh, doppelgangers out of 10 doppelgangers. I mean, I, I'm going to give this one a 10 out of 10. I just loved it. Maybe I love it so much because these are like my favorite characters that I haven't seen in forever. And it's been so long since we got like a really, really good Doctor Who episode. But this was just perfect. I just loved it. 
I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 because it was like the best Doctor Who episode I've ever seen. But I did feel like I missed out on some of this stuff that I just didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Um. All right. You ready for the giggle? Let's do it. Neil Patrick Harris. That's my very first note in this is Neil Patrick Harris is just so good. He's laying it on so thick right when you see him right away as this like toy shop owner that is just like the creepiest guy ever. But he's but he's just being so fun and like campy. And, I mean, I don't which is really right. weird because I told you I recently started Buffy the Vampire Slayer and we're like in season two. And we have already seen about two or three episodes where there's like someone basically playing the exact role that he's playing in this episode. You know, it's like, oh, they have a they have a haunted um, marionette doll or, oh, they have it, it's this weird eccentric costume shop owner that, you know, yeah. you think you're actually whatever the costume is. And I just kept thinking about this episode. <laughs> he's the one guy is picking up a doll to. For his employer, who's going to try and put it on TV. This is another historical fiction, Zach. You know, we're going to a real event, and we're, you know, this is yep. how it happened, really. Right? We don't I know had, about. <laughs> I had to uh, Wikipedia Stooky Bill, but yeah. It's real. It is. I know, yeah. And, um, and he's like, oh, this doll has beautiful hair. And Neil Patrick Harris is like, I cut it off a woman myself. She will not miss it. She'll never miss anything ever again. I would leave the shop and not buy that doll. <laughs> that is a really big red flag to me. <laughs> what a strange thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the reason, if you or any listeners are wondering, that Neil Patrick Harris keeps changing his accent in this episode is because apparently the classic Doctor Who episode that the Celestial Toy Maker was in, where they fought way back in the day, the reason that the Doctor was able to defeat him had to do with the fact that he was able to like mimic his voice or something. He like used his accent against him in some way. I, I haven't seen the episode, Zach. <laughs> I just read that. So so that's kind of like a fun reason why we keep hearing the toy maker go in and out of accents is to like make it so he can't be copied or something like that. Is it to your knowledge like considered one of the better classic Doctor Who episodes? No, it's considered pretty bad and pretty racist. Oh, interesting. <laughs> the celestial apparently the the term celestial didn't used to mean like stars. And like space, it used to mean like Oriental or Asian. So the celestial toy maker was this old white man who like dressed in stereotypical like Asian garb. How the and... hell did we change the meaning <laughs> that drastically? Dude, I, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on this episode at all, but I did a little bit of reading about it when, you know. When I heard that the toy maker, Neil Patrick Harris was going to be the toy maker and all this stuff, you know. Well, that's a weird thing to uh, to come back to then. Well, I'm glad that they didn't mention it at all. And, <laughs> and, 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 and he's not wearing like Asian garments. And um, 
you know, at one point, even towards the end, the doctor is like, we could be, he's just called the toy maker the whole time. And then towards the end, the doctor is like, we could travel the stars together. We could be celestial, you know? So they, I think that they try and do it. They really try to like go away from that side of, of how it was, you know, they had to do some image rehab for the celestial toy maker. Yeah. Um, so it turns out that Neil Patrick Harris put a giggle ha 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 into the Stooky Bill like recording. So everyone that has ever seen a screen on Earth now has that giggle going through their head and it's causing them all to fight with each other and just make sure that they, they're playing the ultimate game, which is I am right and you are wrong. And everyone on Earth is playing that game to, you know, the nth degree where it's like life or death. They'll all like die or be killed just to prove that they're right. And we kind of get to see that in action. We go to unit, unit picks the doctor up and they're like telling him what's going on. And we get to see that in action. They're like flipping channels. They're like, it's everywhere. It's all the politicians. And it's this politician who's like, why should I care about you people? Who cares about you all? And Donna's like, oh, well, not everything's changed then. And that's great. Um, and then Kate Leftwood Stewart goes on her rants. Uh, what, what, what did you, did you have any thoughts on, on her rant when she takes off her little Z disc and she starts like freaking out at everybody? Did you have any? Well, doesn't she on? like point at the, the lady in the <laughs> wheelchair and she's like, I know you can walk. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm was gonna, wild. I'm going to let Kate Leftwood Stewart off the hook a little bit here. Because during the first episode, my sister and I were watching it, the first special, and Shirley, the woman in the wheelchair, she, like, crosses her legs while she's talking to the doctor, and my sister and I are like, wait, just a second, she's in a wheelchair, she be doing this stuff. And then in this episode, Kate Leffridge Stewart's like, I've seen you walking, I know you can stand up, and I guess, I, I guess... That's some some people who are in wheelchairs can walk and and move a little bit, but but I was my sister and I were thinking the same thing, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, FDR was like that, you know. He had polio, but there's yeah, that's true. there's pictures of him like campaigning, and he's like standing on the back of a train, and it's like if you gave him a handrail to hold on to, he could kind of do it for like a minute, you know. Yeah, and he would for for you know to look whatever strong or whatever he wanted to do. Like when he pulls through a town yeah. on the train and they're like, Hey, look, there's the president standing and he just wave and then the train would drive off and he'd sit back down. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, well, yeah, it made, you know, it made my sister and I rethink about, you know, some of our internal, I don't know. The, right. The, yeah. There you go. Representation. Exactly. It is important, Zach. I know you don't think it is, but it is. What the hell? <laughs> I just brought it up. Um, so the doctor and Donna, they go back into the past because they're going to go and find out. They, now they know this is Stooky Bill. Something about Stooky Bill is making this happen. So they go back in the past. That's to, the doll again. Yeah, that's the doll. And, and they go into Neil Patrick Harris's shop. And probably the 
the biggest disappointment in this episode is just that Neil Patrick Harris is not in it all the time because he is just such a scene stealer every single second that he is shown. And if you have him and David Tennant in a, in a room together in an episode, they should be talking to each other almost the entire episode. Yeah, and, I and going in, I thought he was going to be the big bad of all three episodes. And then when he's not in the first one, but the meep is like, oh, my boss is coming and you're going to be he's going to be mad. I was like, cool. He's in the next two episodes. And then it, I saw the second episode. and I was like, that was really good. But I guess we're just getting one episode of Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. And that's what I not what I thought I was signing up for. I kind of I kind of thought the same thing. I, I would have liked to have seen Neil Patrick Harris because he's so good. And even and he's doing all of his own tricks in this. He's doing all the juggling and all the card tricks that he does. You know, he's a magician himself. I believe it. Um, and so the, so they meet the toy maker, and basically he's in this maze. We find out that the reason the toy maker was able to come into this universe was because in the last episode, the doctor does this thing with salt. Where he's like, demons can't cross this line of salt. It's like a superstition. And that small act is what let, like playing a game at the edge of the universe, that's what let the toy maker come into this universe. And now he has like basically domain over it because he's just like magic. So he puts the doctor and Donna in this big maze that he has like created. And. It's just amazing. It's amazing, Zach. Oh, it's amazing. Um, but we see the doctor meet, you know, this marionette man who the toy maker turned into a marionette, and he's being puppeted by like this giant celestial toy maker. And then Donna is like fighting off Stucky Bill's wife and her and the babies, and it's all very the creepy. Bobbies. The Stooky Bobbies. And it's it's very creepy. All of it is... Uh... I gotta say, I did not care for that scene. And, that, like, the stupid toy wife is, like, rhyming. And yeah. then Donna's like, my name's Donna. And you're Donna. Donna. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, let's... Yeah, that's... That one also, that, that last too line. too silly. Yep. Um, and then... Probably the best scene in this episode, the toy maker shows the doctor and Donna a puppet show that he has created for the doctor. And Zach, for a Doctor Who fan, this is kind of like a problem with the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who, which is the person who wrote the Matt Smith era and the Peter Capaldi era. So like the four seasons, or I guess like five or six seasons after David Tennant, like season five through season 11 is nobody ever died. Stephen Moffat never liked killing his characters off. That was like a thing of his is like everybody lives. Um, so they would always die, but then he would always find a way to bring them back. So seeing this puppet show where Neil Patrick Harris is like, he had Amy Pond and she was killed by a weeping angel. And then the doctor's like, she died of old age. And we get to hear Neil Patrick Harris do his American accent. He's like, well, that's all right then. That's kind of like, it's kind of like making fun of the Doctor Who Stephen Moffat era, where it's like everybody dies, but that's all right. You know, they're not really dead. This is, 
Clara was killed by a bird and the doctor's like, but she survives in her last second. And he's like, well, that's all right then, I guess, you know? And then who's the last one? They're like, and then there's Bill and she was turned into a Cyberman. And he's like, but her consciousness lives on. Well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, know? I didn't get any of that. And I was just like, what the hell is happening right now? Oh, is, that's amazing. Cause, cause that I also is... didn't get why he was changing the accent. So I was doubly like, what the hell is happening now? Because it is trying to do like American. American. Yeah. It's like a cowboy accent almost. Yeah. It's so absurd. Yeah. Um, and then something happens with the flux, and here's a, nobody cares about the flux. I feel bad for Jody Whitaker, but nobody cares about anything that happened in her in her time. And he mentions that he's like the toy maker's like, you know, I came in here and I've I made I played games with God and turned him into a Jack in the box. I did this and that. I made a jigsaw puzzle out of your history doctor. Have you liked it? That's their way of hand waving all of the dumb shit that they put into the canon in the last Jodie Whittaker era where, you know, I mentioned like now all of a sudden there's like been a million doctors because it's not just the 16th doctor. Now it turns out he's been regenerating for a million years and he's not even from Gallifrey. He was like found by someone and, and blah, 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 blah. That's their way of just hand waving it. The, the toy maker messed everything up, you know? So now it's all, now it's all messed up again because it's really stupid, but we don't have to care about it. You know, <laughs> As a Marvel Comics fan, I can appreciate and respect when a continuity gets so heavy and absurd and there's really bad parts of it. And you just have to take something that's so dumb and retcon it in a way that's also yeah. dumb. But now it, you can at least move forward. Yeah. And what's what's really annoying about it is, you know, for 55 years, the continuity was not messed up. The doctor was from Gallifrey. He's on regeneration number 13. This is his life. And then for some reason, in one season, they just decided to, like, totally rewrite everything. And it's like, nope. As it turns out, the Doctor was actually found in a parallel universe. The Gallifreyans brought him over, experimented on him, you know, made him regenerate, found out wow, this little kid can regenerate. They used that power to create the Time Lord race. And then they like wiped the doctor's memory. And then he turned into like the first doctor. And eventually they stopped wiping his memory, you know, and that's where, he, but, and it's just, it's like, why, why did we do all of this? This doesn't make sense. And hopefully they'll hand wave it a little more. I don't think it's like the worst storyline ever, but there's a character called the master. That's like the doctor's Gallifreyan friend, like best friend who's kind of gone crazy over time. And the easiest fix is to just be like, no, that didn't happen to the doctor. That happened to the master. He was the original person. He was the one that got experimented on millions of times and he's the one that all of this happened. And then we still keep the Doctor's canon. And it kind of makes sense if they want to, you know, play that game and they really want to do that. But but they didn't do that. Maybe they Doctor will. Doctor Who writers? John is available. Uh, oh, well, I'm not the first person who's thought of that idea. I mean... Really? But But when I was watching that original Timeless Child episode, that's what it's called, the Timeless Child. 
the master is like explaining all of this to the doctor just through like a big exposition exposition speech he's like telling them this is what the time lords did you were found here and then he gets to a point or he's like talking about the timeless child he's like telling the story about it and he gets to a point and he's like and do you know who the timeless child was doctor and it's like it should be you that would be a good thing if it was you that's why you're so crazy and he's like it's you and it's like oh my god that's great this is just great (laughs) you know um so let's see where are we in the notes the puppet show just happened oh yeah so then the so then the flux happens and 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 that's when the doctor challenges the, the toy maker to a game he's like tired of hearing about all of his past stuff and he's like i challenge you to a game and they play cut the deck to see who gets the higher card and i did like it when donna's like you can't play against him he'll cheat and both of them look at her and he's like how dare you <laughs> i would never cheat and the toy maker wins and then i i also really liked this they go the doctor's like I it, the rules of every game, you know, when it's one to one, we all know what that means, and they're like best two out of three because he's saying like, the time I beat you in the sixties counts as our first, yeah, our first meeting. Um, and gosh, I like that one too because anytime you lose at anything, is that isn't that what you say to someone when they beat you? You're like, okay, best two out of three. Come on, you know, <laughs> I just show up at their house in the middle of the night with a Molotov cocktail. But right. yeah, yeah, that's a two out of three is a good uh, backup option. Um, And so they do that. Then they go back to 2023 because the toy maker is like, okay, well, if we're going to play again, we're going to play in 2023. So they go back to 2023. We get an awesome Spice Girls dance number by Neil Patrick Harris to spice up your life. What do you think yeah. about that? <laughs> okay good was, fun, i don't know not good fun what did you I, think i don't know man i just thought it was weird like on the heels of such a good smart um emotional second episode i understand this scratches a different itch that people might have but it just wasn't it didn't mean anything to me yeah i wanted to not like it because i'm like oh, this is so goofy but it's just too much fun seeing Neil Patrick Harris like gallivant around and turn bullets into flower petals and just dance and like, you know, he turns those like soldiers into bouncy balls and the doctor's just like, they're dead. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. It's I gosh, every second Neil Patrick Harris is in this episode. It's hard to not like what's happening on screen, I think. John, I I just I've been so conflicted for so long because I'm like one of my favorite comic series of all time is Excalibur from like the late 80s, early 90s. It's a spinoff of X-Men that's completely different than every other thing that's X-Men. And all I hear from like other big Excalibur fans is they're like, this is just doctor who worship this is like straight up a ripoff from doctor who uh the um what is it the weird happenings organization who is a reference to doctor who and is just literally unit 
but for the Marvel Universe. Uh, it's so wacky. It's so campy. They just go on these weird, like, cross-time adventures and, and stuff. So did you and say you like this run, or you don't This like is it? one of my favorite comics ever. Oh. I have an Excalibur shirt that I got from the internet. I have right now right behind my laptop like an inch away from you is the captain britain omnibus that like happens before excalibur but it's just so complicated it'd be like like i want to put you onto it but it would be like you relearning the entire doctor who canon again because it's it's so complicated but it's so campy that might be our next well, that's podcast awesome. I, yeah we might we I might have know. to read that that sounds like fun like every time the- i'm in it i'm like man john would like this but it also takes like three years of background information to understand the whole the whole reason i started watching doctor who i'd never seen it at all i just like heard of the show and i was like oh it's like it's some like alien who like dresses in weird clothes that like travels in time and space and you know just goes on adventures and i was like this just sounds like it's going to be my favorite show, even having never seen an episode of it before. And I, it was like on my list of shows to watch for a while. And then one day I just threw it on and I was like, this is awesome. This is the best show ever. This is so fun. Um, so I, I bet I would really like that comic run also, you know, if it's yeah. similar to that. Um, okay. So the doctor and the toy maker they're at unit the toy maker is he's got this big giant basically a death star beam that unit has and he has control of it and he says he played the first game with the first doctor he played the second game with the second with this doctor and he shoots the doctor in the chest with the big beam and he says he'll play the third game with the next doctor and this would have been a good regeneration. I thought it was coming. I like really did. I was like, okay, this is a perfect time for David Tennant to regenerate. He's he's probably going to say something like, I'm finally ready to go because his big thing he always says is like, I don't want to go before he regenerated last time. That's what he said. I don't want to go. So you're expecting him to say something to 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 show that he is ready now. And he kind of does. Quick question, do you think that was David Tennant literally saying, like, I don't want to be written off the show? Or do you think he was ready to go? I think it it was supposed to be, like, kind of both. It was, like, the doctor speaking and it's, like, David Tennant speaking. Because David Tennant was the biggest Doctor Who fan as a kid. There are, like, there are, like, newspaper, like, write-ins where, like, David Tennant as a kid has written into Doctor Who fan stuff. And I think Peter Capaldi might be the same way in that, that there's like clippings from when they were like 10 years old that are like right in, you know, about Doctor Who episodes. Um, and so I, I think it was David Tennant also, like he has a really special relationship with the role. He's married to a, a actress who played the doctor's daughter on Doctor Who, her dad. So his father-in-law was the fifth doctor. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of history, like, with David Tennant and Doctor Who. That's crazy. I I, I really respect that. I had no yeah. idea. Um, But, and this is, probably, this is probably the part that made some people mad, instead of regenerating, he bi-generates into the new Doctor, 
and he's not wearing any pants, which I think we talked about on the last episode. Is he also the first black doctor? Yep, he's the first black doctor. Um, we should really find his name. I think it's like Cheedy Atwell or something. New doctor name. Nakuti Gatwa, or I don't, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but there we go. Special shout out. He was pretty good. I liked him a lot, and and I and I I thought it would be really good if he comes in and he like saves the day because then it's like okay. Because it's kind of important, the first storyline for a new doctor, when they show up, they've got to do something right away that you're like, this is the doctor, you know? Because yeah. you don't want them to be five episodes in and it's still like they're they're playing the doctor. They've got to become the doctor in the first episode. That's how the show works. So you got that with David Tennant, you know, in his first episode. Then Matt Smith came in and he gave a really good speech about becoming the doctor. And they just always do that. Um and we get a game of catch between David Tennant, the new doctor, and Neil Patrick Harris. And this is the third game. And Neil Patrick Harris says, do you think a grand total of two of you could cause me to shiver? And I just can't believe that they didn't find a way to bring back Matt Smith or Peter Capaldi to like save the day at the end because they're playing this game of catch on the roof. Gosh, I sometimes I do wish I was a writer that loves roofs. Well, or, or throw, throw the ball off the roof. They drop it. The doctor drops it. It falls off the roof. And then we get to see Matt Smith in his TARDIS door open and he's got the ball in his hand or like peter capaldi oh my gosh that's so amazing and it's the 60th episode so they but should not jody in, whittaker but not jody whittaker no <laughs> jody whittaker. that's gotta either be matt smith or peter capaldi or christopher eccleston if they really wanted to go back and get him now that would have made people freak out he was the he's the one that brought doctor who back in 2005 and he wasn't in the 50th special because he doesn't have the best relationship with the show. But if they ever got him to come back in a real action episode, I mean, people would flip out. And I just can't believe that they didn't do that at all. I kind of was expecting one of the doctors to come back because they made that comment about there's two. You think two of you is going to cause me to shiver? And they even say like, because the toy maker's like, that's cheating. And he's like, no, it's not. You challenge the doctor. We're both the doctor. This is not cheating. They should have had 10 of them come in and start playing catch against him and beat him. Like, except they should have that done doesn't, something. Except that doesn't help their odds because they're they're judging it based off of if you drop the ball. So he gets to throw it to the doctor twice per round, whereas they get to throw it to him once. That's true. So they have more chances to drop it. That's true. But I... <clears throat> Zach, I've got this whole thing planned out, and it doesn't matter because it didn't happen. But in David Tennant's first episode, he is fighting someone on a roof, and the guy is about to like ambush him from behind. He basically defeats this guy, and the, and the guy surrenders, and then he turns his back to walk away, and the guy gets up and goes to attack him to kill him. And the doctor takes a tangerine or a satsuma out of his, like, robe that's in his pocket that just happens to be there 
and he like a ball and he throws it against the thing and it causes some trap door to fall and the alien falls to his death off of the roof like as he's it's like he, like he knows he was trying to ambush him from behind and that's just too good it's too symmetrical of a thing to his last episode to not have like someone throw a ball and the doctor catches it off the roof and i just I just can't help but think that would have been so perfect to just see Matt Smith standing there holding the ball. But it didn't happen. Instead, we get this, like, terrible one-minute-long just, like, clip of them, like, throwing a ball back and forth until eventually Neil Patrick Harris just drops it. It's yeah, terrible. It pretty, it's terrible. pretty sad. Pretty anticlimactic. It's terrible. <laughs> the editing is so bad. Just throw, Just show them actually throwing and catching the ball. It's, like, the worst cuts of all time like they don't ever actually show them like throwing it or catching it they just cut from like it's about to leave someone's hand and then it's in someone's hand dude these are professional actors they can make actual catches and throw the balls to each other or something it was a really disappointing anticlimactic is a perfect way to to say it it was just in in such a fun episode, it was really disappointing how that scene was edited and put together. Yeah. These three episodes almost felt like they were from three different shows at times. Because that this scene would not have worked definitely in the second one. But I don't even think in the first one it fit the fit the mood. Yeah. Um. Uh- so Neil Patrick Harris drops it. He gets vanquished out of the universe and um, the master's gold tooth is left sitting there and it gets picked up. Zach, I don't, I don't even know if you like noticed anything about him talking about the master. He says he trapped him in a gold tooth and that's like the doctor's enemy I already mentioned. So that'll probably come back later, which is good. The master is always fun. And then we find out that the doctor got his face back so he could go and have dinner with Donna's family while the new doctor just goes and does adventures. <laughs> I said it reminds me of ev- the end of every single That's Fast and Furious movie when they're like, all right, we did the heist. Now it's family and Corona time. And they're just yep. like cooking out. Yep. Yep. The doctor's just like telling stories about like his... That's like that's a that's kind of a scene that always annoys me in movies and TV shows where there's like some guy who's done it all that's like sitting around a table just like telling stories about his adventures and and everyone's like laughing and cracking up at him, you know. I don't know. It it I I'm okay with it all, but I would have handled the ending of this episode differently if I was making it, which I'm not because I'm not smart enough to do. Well, you would have had everyone die at 10 different points. No. What do you mean? (laughs) You're like, oh, this would have been a good time for Donna to die. And that would have been a good time for the doctor to die. And well, well, that's because they're doing, you know, they've set up this storyline where for the past 15 years, if Donna remembers something, she's going to die, you know, through 60 years, when the doctor regenerates, he dies. This is the yeah. first time they haven't done that. Um, And now I have to get to my biggest issue of all three episodes. And it's the very end of this one. And I mentioned earlier how much I love Wilf. And how it is an important characterization of him. 
that he is a soldier that specifically does not like war and does not like to fire his gun. He will do it, but he doesn't like doing it. He's he's against it. And for them to all be eating this dinner as a family and for us to just hear gunshots going off in the background and them being like, that's just Wilf. He's out shooting the moles. It's it's like the worst characterization of him I can ever think of. It, that is the worst thing I'd ever put Wilf doing instead of hanging out with the doctor and Donna. He's out shooting moles in the backyard like a crazy old man. Why not? I'm going to rewrite it again like I have forever, like I have this whole episode. Why not just say he's out looking at his telescope? That's something that Wilf used to do all the time. That's all he was ever doing was looking at the stars, looking out at his telescope. And then they even make a point to say, once Donna lost her memory, she's like, yeah, he used to always fiddle with his telescope, but he hasn't used it in 15 years. He can't bring himself to look to use it anymore because of how it reminds him of everything. It would have just been so perfect to just be like, where's Wilf? Oh, he's he's fiddling with his telescope. He'll be down in a minute. I, I mean, that's that's such a better way to remember that character versus he's shooting moles. And through this whole conversation of them eating dinner, we're just randomly going to hear gunshots going off in the background. It, it it really makes me upset because the actor has passed away and he's such and that's such a bad final like taste in your mouth for that actor. So I don't choose to think about that. I choose to think he was looking at his telescope. You know, in my mind, he can be doing whatever he wants. I didn't even know any of that. And I didn't even remember the gunshots or the mole line. Like, it, none of it registered to me. And now I'm mad with you. I'm like, Good. yeah, you know what? That does Good. suck. It does. It does suck. <laughs> um. Well, that's my last that's my last note I've got I've got on this was how much I didn't like that part. Um, but I like the new doctor. Seems like a good dude. You know, eventually I think the I think the plan is eventually David Tennant gets better and like just dies and turns into the new doctor entirely. Like I don't think there's supposed to be two doctors running around now. I think you eventually, don't think he gets a happy ending just living with them as his family. I think the way it is, it was supposed, it is supposed to work. How I understood it is, the doctor when they're talking to each other, the doctors, David Tennant's doctor is like, "Well, you seem fine," and he's like, "I'm fine because you went to therapy, dude." <laughs> so I'm pretty sure this next like adventure for david Tennant is just like he's just gonna like do some work on himself and have fun with his family and then eventually i don't know he'll just disappear or, or die or or something or maybe he won't maybe he will just be traveling with the nobles like forever that'd be fun i would love to see him come back he just gets some uh domestic life bliss i i think the new season should be david Tennant and rose traveling she's a perfect companion and he's great obviously um but i can they wanted to do like new characters i guess entirely and david Tennant probably didn't want to be roped in for a full season or two you know yeah 
He's got other things he's doing. Makes sense. So what do you give this episode and what do you give the whole trilogy? I'm going to give this one an eight and a half out of ten. Because it's still being graded on a scale of this was so fun. This was Doctor Who again, you know, how it's supposed to be. Um, so I, I might even still give it a nine, you know, Neil, Neil Patrick Harris in a doctor who episode is really good. Um, hopefully we see him again later. Also, he says his legions are coming. We get a tease to another big, bad villain that he mentions. So I don't know. It'd be fun to see him come back somehow, but he probably won't. What do you give? I'll give it nine out of 10 games. I... I respect that and love that for you. I was so lost the whole time, and it was on the heels of something that I enjoyed so much. It was like a 5 out of 10 for me. 5 out of 10? Okay. I just Let's... didn't didn't get what I was supposed to get out of it, you know? There, there was a lot more bouncing around and stuff happening, and I feel like this one then... The last one was a wholly self-contained story, and this one had a lot going on. You know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is that a? Is that it for our Doctor Who recap? Um, I was I think. Think... Oh, what were I you was say? thinking. You said you know if people want to start watching, where could they start? Where where would a good place to start Doctor Who would be? Yes. Okay. So here's where Zach, if you want to watch Doctor Who. The 2005 starting place is a good one because Christopher Eccleston is great and there's phenomenal episodes in season one, specifically a two-parter called, um, what's it called? The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances are amazing. Um, and... So that would be a good, you know, even if you're just starting at random episodes, those are great episodes to just like throw on and you'll be like, this show's amazing. And, um, but if you don't start in season one, probably you want to start in season five, the Matt Smith era, because that's when they do kind of a reboot, um, you know, totally new companions, new writer, new showrunner, new doctor. And that's a really good starting place also, because it introduces Matt Smith like in a great episode. It introduces his companion and um, it's just, it's, you know. And she's Nebula now. She's gone on to like huge things. Nebula. Yeah. Yeah. That yes. was my, not that I would, you know, really, I don't think I count as a Doctor Who fan. I don't think Doctor Who fans would have me. I, I, but I did watch a good bit of Matt Smith because in high school when it was coming out, I was dating a girl who was into it. <clears throat> and then um a few that's years how, that's ago that's how we all get into doctor who yeah for real <laughs> and then a few years ago uh Alyssa got her and shyla watching it and it was the matt smith all over again so i've seen some of those episodes none i've seen some of them once i've seen some of them twice yeah um and that's the matt smith is like the river song storyline mostly david yes. david Tennant has one up one or two episodes with her and peter capaldi has an episode with her um peter capaldi's my favorite doctor i've got a little funko pop in there of him uh and then christopher eccleston and then probably david Tennant, and then matt smith but they're all so great and then jody whitaker (laughs) (laughs) 
um, who's great but was let down by some bad writing, we'll say. Yeah. Um, okay, Zach, and then the best episodes, if anyone's listening and they're like, I'm going to watch the best episodes of Doctor Who, the best episodes are either David Tennant's Blink, which is in season three. Oh, that's with the Weeping Angels, right? Yep. I've David Tennant's Midnight, which is in season four, which is probably my favorite. And then Peter Capaldi has an episode called Heaven Sent in season nine. And and that is probably my favorite also. That and Midnight are both my favorite episodes. Um but that that one that one's not a self-contained story. You'd have to watch the episode before to know what's going on and I mean, you could watch it, but you won't appreciate it as much without just going through everything with the doctor beforehand. Okay. I'm curious. So if you were to try and find the type of person who hasn't watched Doctor Who yet but should, what would you say it's like for fans of, you know? I mean, it's – I think it would fit very well with everyone who, like, reads comics and likes, you know – sci-fi stuff and i mean you know, i'm trying to think of gosh dude i like barely know anyone that watches doctor who i never get to talk about doctor who with people so because you're a because you're a sports guy <laughs> yeah and sports and doctor who don't go together <laughs> yeah we are like we probably messed up making the the number one podcast comic book podcast for sports fans because there's not that much overlap between those two worlds i think comics are mainstream enough now that everyone likes them or or not i guess the comic book movies are Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but i mean i i bet every single person that listened to that listens to this podcast and surely that has listened to a two and a half hour episode that is mostly about doctor who if you haven't seen doctor who it is probably worth going and putting on and you know man there are some episodes that are a slog to get through but there are also some that are just incredible you know they're just really fun and really good stories much like the comics we read definitely yeah exactly well cool um oh here i got i got one more note at the end of the at the very end of the first episode donna donna spills coffee on the tardis and the doctor goes we could end up anywhere in time and space and i'm like yeah man we've all seen the show we get it (laughs) that was always at stake we get it and then and then when the new doctor gets into his tardis here at the very end and he flips the switch and the tardis is disappearing donna's like where's he going and the doctor goes everywhere and it's like yeah we get it again we we (laughs) we understand (laughs) and he says something else like uh huh i don't usually get to see this from the outside yeah it's kind of fun (laughs) that is yep yep i'm uh you know one thing we didn't get is we didn't get and it's bigger on the inside which is a very classic Doctor Who line. Whenever anyone goes into the TARDIS for the first time, they always say, it's bigger on the inside. I did know that. And even in this Christmas special that we aren't talking about, I guess, um, 
that the new companion comes in and she doesn't say it. She doesn't say it's bigger on the inside. And it just annoys me sometimes when the writers don't put stuff like that in because you think it's they think it's been played to it. death. Definitely. They they're like everybody says that. Everyone's gonna be expecting her to say it. So instead of saying it's bigger on the inside, she'll just be like, Oh my god, this is incredible. Instead of saying that, you know, she she walks out the doors and runs around it and then walks back in. Just have her say the stupid line, man, so we can all clap like seals at the at the TV screen. <laughs> give us our fan service now yeah exactly exactly one time That's funny one time clara one of the companions comes in and she's like there are like echoes of her that come in all the time so it's not always the same character it's weird and one of her echoes comes in and she comes in and she and she looks at it and she goes it's smaller on the outside see that's perfect if you want to if you want to like mess with the expectations have them say that, you know, but have them say something. <laughs> but you probably can't use that joke twice. Exactly. Yep. You've already used that once. You can't use that one again. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. You got anything else, Doctor Who? Related? I don't think I do, Zach. I don't think I do. I'm, you know, thanks for letting me just come on here and talk about it for so long. I, I, I sure do hope people aren't, uh, you know, they can skip ahead if they want. <laughs> no, dude, it's fun. And this was the point of the episode. And we're going to reach a different audience with this. And that'll be fine. And our regular audience will maybe start watching Doctor Who if they hadn't already. Yeah. And maybe the Doctor Who audience that we get will start reading Ultimate Spider-Man. That's the hope. We, yeah. we will eventually, just by being around long enough, find our exact people who are Colts fans and Doctor Who watchers and Ultimate Spider-Man yep. readers and like punk rock and gambling. So when do... Uh, okay, should we go into something else? Should we just mosey into our last section of this pod? Yes, and my something else okay. is also Doctor Who related. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, well then do that one first. Okay, so, um, I don't know, did you see this week Universal Studios announced their brand new theme park in, or in Orlando? They're building a new one. It's called Universal Epic Universe. Okay. I was like, that's kind of cool. Like, I am probably going to be going to that music festival in Gainesville every year or every other year from now on, and it's super easy to just go an extra day and make a day trip down to Orlando. So like the parks that are there are of interest to me. If you build something new and cool, I will go. Yeah. And I looked at the designs and I looked at like the IPs that's attached to it. And I just was not impressed. They're doing a new area of the wizarding world of Harry Potter, but it's the ministry of magic. And I'm like, first of all, I don't think, Anyone was asking for that. Second of all, I understand I've been to go see the government bureaucracy in this magical world. <laughs> yeah, and it's going to also have some like uh, Fantastic Beast stuff over there. And it's like, who's watching that series? You know, yeah. um, I'm like, I understand you invested so much money and made the other two Harry Potter worlds so cool, and you can't get out of that. But why are you doubling down on J.K. Rowling right now with some of her worst yeah. ideas? Um, yeah. And then there's like a How to Train Your Dragon Land, which I didn't realize was that big. I didn't think it was any bigger than like 
I don't know, Hotel Transylvania or definitely Despicable Me or like any of those other DreamWorks properties. Yeah. Or Illumination or whatever. I've it never is. seen any of the How to Train Your Dragon movies. I haven't either, but apparently it has a fan base. They've got like a Halloween town where it's just classic like Dracula stuff. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You didn't have to spend money on the IP. That might be cool. Whatever. Okay. Um, they're building a Nintendo land, and I was like, that could be sick, but they have like one ride announced already, and it's not Rainbow Road. It would be re- okay. That's terrible. That's a travesty. They need a Rainbow Road roller coaster. Immediately. It could also be very cool if somehow they made the Nintendo world like all 8 bit looking. I'm sure it'll have like green pipes sticking out of the ground and it'll have the oh, little definitely. man-eating plants and stuff like that. Oh, I bet it, yeah. I bet it will have a cool I'm sure atmosphere. they'll do it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so why did you say this was about Doctor Who? Well, cuz I started thinking. I was like this sucks. I <laughs> they chose some of the weirdest IPs, things that like I don't think is going to bring other people to the park and definitely doesn't make me want to go there. Um, they should have done so much better. And I started thinking really hard about what I would do with a theme park. And I kind of have it in my mind and I'm like a couple different things. Like if you're going to spend a lot of money for like the main world, like Harry Potter world, or like how that one Disney park has a really cool star Wars place. Do Lord of the Rings. Everyone oh, wants yeah. to go to the Shire. Oh my gosh. You could do a ride where you're like, Frodo on the eagle, and you see all oh over Middle gosh. Earth. You How could do have they a, not made a Lord of the Rings like city yet. It would print its own money. Dude, you could do absolutely. an underground section that saves more park space above ground, and you could do like the Mines of Moria and um, Mordor because it's all dark down there. Like you could do so much cool <laughs> like that. And then I started thinking about other stuff, and I'm like, you could have like a TV area because anymore, like. People will pay for attractions that aren't necessary. Not everything has to be a ride, you know, and Instagram, uh, like people will pay for like just to walk through immersive experiences or places they can take pictures for their Instagram, build a little warehouse type building where one floor is like the set of the office. One floor is like uh, Monaco's apartment from friends. Yeah have it like a TV themed world that people just walk through and experience and they will come for it. And I was like, you could so easily do definitely bitchin doctor who ride where the ride itself it, and like everything is part of the experience. What do you, what did you say? Doctor who is like a hallmark is of it is corridors walking through corridors, Run- running through corridors, exactly. running through corridors. Okay. You don't walk in doctor who. <laughs> All right. Well, you might hear, have the line just be cool space corridors that people feel like they're you know going through with the doctor and then you get to um a or you're like the entrance is like a tardis you know and have it next to the side of a building that's like all theme parks it's like it looks like a building but really it's the ride behind it they could do an awesome like attraction i'm like a ride you know you know how like disney does rides where they they actually like get Aerosmith to do like a two minute video that yes. plays before the ride or something. Or you could have the doctors well, do you it. Know, they do like a fast and I think they've got like a fast and furious one of those even. And and yeah, like have have David Tennant be like, you know, show up with the TARDIS and be like, 
We've got Here's to run. Your mission. Blah, 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 blah. Here's this, you know, get in quick. And then you zoom off. Like, yeah, that'd be perfect. You could make just a tiny bottlenecked little entrance that looks like a TARDIS. You walk in and then you see all these corridors that you, if there's no line, you get to run through up to the front. And then it's like a big, I was thinking like, um, I don't, I can't think of what they're called, but I've seen them before where it's like a, not a thrill ride, but you're just standing and you've got like rails to hold on and those can be the round things inside the TARDIS and you're in there with like a hundred people and the ground kind of shakes and rocks and you can see through the window like, oh, we're going through a space vortex. Oh, we're going back back in time. We're going forward in time. We're on a weird space planet. The doctor is narrating and says, pull this lever and it lights up and you get to pull the lever and, you know, that makes the ground move even more. And then everyone walks out and they had fun. And it that doesn't take be. up a lot of space because it's just one room that yeah. moves and does things. It, you know, it wouldn't be like the central attraction, but it'd be so much easier and better than what they're just pouring billions yeah. of dollars into that I don't think anyone's going to go to. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who would. I don't know who would ever go to Ministry of Magic Hogwarts instead of Harry Potter Land, but... Especially if it's not attached to the other two parks and you have to buy yeah. a separate ticket for it. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It's like they're building a brand those, new shiny park to put all their worst ideas in. Yeah, those are all really good ideas. Gosh, that would, that would all make a ton of money, especially the, even the TV show stuff. You do like yeah. TV, a TV land that's all owned by uh, like NBC, which is Universal, right? That is Friends, The Office, Parks and Rec. I mean, dude, that's amazing that they haven't done a TV land yet. Where how could you not? People do pay for like these yeah. fake experiences that keep getting cease and desists where they're like, Hey, we did rent out a floor and we made it look like the office come walk through here. Just do one of those. That's permanent in an amusement park. Did you know in the streets of London, there is one TARDIS that just sits on a random corner and that's just where the TARDIS is, right? There's not a bunch of them all over TARDIS London. There's just one. And it's like an attraction. And when I was in London, of course, I woke up early. The The last day we were there, it was the day we were going to the Colts game because the Colts played in London. And, you know, my friend that I was with didn't give a shit about Doctor Who at all. Um, so I woke up early, like 7 a.m., took the tube by myself, you know, got off at the crosses I need to get off on, went to see the TARDIS. Asked a stranger to get my picture with it, and then took the two back to the back to our Airbnb, and we started pre-gaming for the Colts game. <laughs> that sounds great. It was. It was actually awesome. I, I, I of course still have the pictures, and I love them. I cherish them. Did we win that game? Uh, nope. Barely lost to the Jaguars. Dwayne Allen dropped a big fourth down pass as we were driving. That that would have probably, uh, you know, we should have won. Yeah, that sounds about right for Dwayne Allen and for the yep. those Andrew Luck years of the uh, Colts. He, yep. <laughs> he was really the the Jody Whitaker of this franchise. Like he was let down by bad coaching and you know, writing and Andrew Luck was not the Jody Whitaker of this franchise. Was that was Andrew that too Luck, generous to Jody Whitaker? That was, that was far too generous to Jody Whitaker. Okay. I would say closer is Curtis Painter was the Jody Whitaker of, of the Kurt Colts era. Tough. You know, 
Good guy. <laughs> good guy. Good family. He was Local doing his kid. Best. He was doing his best out there, but he was just let down by a lot of different things. Himself included a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. okay so, Sorry, Andrew Luck, if you're listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Let's see. Do we have anything else? Do we want to talk about Super Bowl this week? What? When do the podcast go up? Do they go up on Sundays? This will go up tomorrow. So we've got we've got time to do Super Bowl next week. But will people have time to listen before Super Bowl Sunday? Should we talk about it? Should we give a Super Bowl primer this week? Sure, let's give a primer. Who's winning the game, Zach? You can see, I showed Zach at the beginning of the pod, I have my list of Super Bowl degenerate bets on my whiteboard behind me. So we've got a lot of overs here. We're basically taking the overs on every player and just rooting for a good game. I'm going to do what I did last week and was correct, by the way, and I'm going to say who I'm rooting for and who I think will actually win. Okay. I'm rooting for the 49ers. I have no doubt in my mind the NFL is going to see to it that the Chiefs win. And they probably won't even have to put their finger on the scale because um, Patrick Mahomes just always gets it done. But if it comes down late in the fourth quarter, you know, there's going to be some kind of like holding penalty or, wow. you know, something that, that tips the scales. Wow. Um, I am also rooting for the 49ers. I like Christian McCaffrey a lot. I I want him to win. I like Brock Purdy a lot. I think he gets too much hate. And I'm kind of sick of seeing the Chiefs win. You know? Yes. They've sort of, at some point, the teams turn from the team you like, like seeing win because they're the, you know, Patrick Mahomes is just the best. And I like seeing the best player win. That's a, that's a, that's, I still have that in me from the Peyton Manning era, you know, where the best player deserves to win and they don't win enough. But Mahomes has won enough at this point, and it's time for someone else to win. But yes. I don't think that they will. I don't know how you bet against Mahomes. He's the best. I was talking to my sister about it yesterday, and I told her, you know, for my money, he is probably the best quarterback of all time already. I would I would put him up against anybody, and and he comes out either right at Peyton Manning or he's he's probably even a little bit better than Peyton Manning is, like as much as we all love Peyton Manning. He's at least in the conversation, and for being like 28 years old... He's only that, played six season and, seasons, and he's already there. I know. That in and of itself is incredible. That essentially yeah, means if he hasn't achieved it yet, he is on track to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I don't mind seeing the Chiefs win, though. I do like Patrick Mahomes, but... I would prefer to see the 49ers win this year. I'm holding out hope that they do, but it is hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes, especially when he's an underdog. Yeah. I have Brock Purdy in Dynasty, and no one's giving me anything for him. And I would just love to come back, you know, in two weeks and uh, be like, hey, guys, do you want Super Bowl MVP Brock Purdy? <laughs> I'll be taking CeeDee Lamb now. Thank you very much. <laughs> he's he's better than he gets credit for. He's he much is. better than he gets credit for, I think. He was the sixth ranked quarterback in fantasy this year. I just, it's super flex. And I also have Justin Herbert and um, Anthony Richardson. So like, I don't need to play him. Oh. If those guys are healthy, they should be out scoring yeah. him. Yeah. 
This was a long one. This was. This was. I'm going to build this as like a giant sized yep. episode. This, <clears throat> yep. This was our Doctor Who special. We've been talking about it for a while. We finally got there. Yep. And it was fun. I We should do it again sometime. We should do more like different episodes. I think we should uh, we should look at other media properties every now and then. Yeah, I agree. I like doing that. We still have to do our Spider-Man ranking of all the movies. All the movies. Yep. 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 I've got a another Spider-Man mini series that I'm going to have us read at some point. Um, okay. Renew your vows. Okay. That's a that's a beloved one. People will like hearing that. And we got to do Hickman's Ultimate Spider-Man whenever it gets back That's on right. shelves. Yep. Okay, so we've got a lot. But next week, we're with Deadpool and Kitty Pride. We are, yes. I almost forgot. It's been This is the longest I've ever gone without having to go back <laughs> to it. Without thinking about Kitty Pride. Yeah, truly. <laughs> so yeah, next episode, Ultimate Spider-Man issues 91 and 92. Go read those this week. Yep. All right. Should I send us out? I think you should. Thank you so much to Ian Hickey for the music and Alyssa Seaman for the artwork. And thank you all for listening and leaving us a review and a comment. You can always find Zach and I at the First Read Ultimate Spider-Man podcast on Spotify or Apple Music or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. And you can come and chat with us and leave us a message on Instagram at First Read Podcast. Send us an email at firstreadspidey at gmail.com. Or find us on YouTube, First Read Ultimate Spider-Man Podcast. See you next week. See ya.